previously on Martini John. Uh, did and you know who that? Did you recognize that guy? That, that, that guy was is from, Jack uh, Tuliedoo, and he was he invented. <laughs> if you guys, if anybody loves like tetherball, his oh, brother was the great English tetherball player of the fifties. Well, it was the Tuliedoo <laughs> brothers. They used to play against the Fox brothers, and then they uh, played one well. Broke a, yeah, yeah but that's late for that was after the war. You're right. Yeah. We should probably do that movie. That's pretty famous, Blade Runner. So I've heard Blade Runner. Uh, yeah, yeah. You ever heard of that one? It's pretty good. Yeah. It, no. it wasn't it. Um, no, it's about the What's sushi that? chef, right? <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> oh, <laughs> exactly. Oh. <laughs> it's Deckard dreams of sushi. That's what it was. The Irishman to me oh, yeah, was, totally. you know, it was like it was like the Eagles doing the final tour. Hell freezes over. Yeah, we're gonna play Hotel California. We're gonna do New Kid in Town acoustically. It's like okay, big deal. Yes. Welcome back, Martini Giant fans. This is episode number fifty-eight, which is the nineteen forty-one film directed by Orson Welles, Citizen Kane, followed by the twenty-twenty film Mank, directed by David Fincher. Mank, of course, is available on Netflix. It's an exclusive of Netflix and a fabulous film. Uh, obviously, this is a much-anticipated podcast. It's been a big request by our fans for us to discuss these two films, and it's really, really great. Uh, we were—I was—we were all very surprised and really enjoyed these films. Uh, it was a great podcast to talk about it. We really believe that you know, Citizen Kane was a revolutionary film at it of its time, and really sort of showed the course of what filmmaking was going to become at the time. And the same is true for Mank, believe it or not. Even though Mank is really a film that sort of harps and looks and at the past, it is also looking firmly at the future of filmmaking, especially when it comes to things like distribution and how things happen on the internet and what things can look and the quality of things. And there's a lot of things to discuss. So we discussed them all, of course, in, this, in, our, in our usual long-form fashion that we do on the podcast, and it was a lot of fun. A lot, a lot of fun. I do want to remind you guys that these podcasts are now being done live on our uh, Twitch account. So if you'd like to be part of the conversation, feel free to join us on Twitch. We're at twitch.tv slash martini underscore giant underscore giant. Again, that is twitch.tv slash martini underscore giant. And we usually record the podcast on Saturdays at around 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We are trying to get better about letting you guys know on social media on our website when that is. Uh, you know, we're three guys with three jobs, uh, so it's a little hard for us to catch up on all that stuff. But we are doing our best. But follow us there. And if we don't record a podcast, what we also do is we do watch parties, which is a lot of fun. And you guys can, of course, join us for the watch parties. Uh, it is uh, Basically, what we do is we find a fun film that we can talk over that is available on Amazon Prime, and then we just hang out and chat and uh, chat with you guys. And uh, it, I do have to say that it's been a lot of fun since we switched these podcasts to Twitch uh, to be able to interact with you guys uh, on it as well. Your chats have been fantastic, and we really love having you on board. Uh, so it's really, really cool. We are looking to sort of you know do experiments and do new things for the podcast as well. So with that being said, I'd like to ask – you guys, specifically our fans, your thoughts on a few things that we're thinking about doing and, you know, let us know what you think. So uh, here are the questions. Uh, first is, uh, we're thinking about opening a merch store where we can just, you know, 
give you guys t-shirts or just pictures that we've done. Like As you guys know, we put a lot of fun pictures of our stuff uh, on uh, on Martini Giant, uh, you know, in terms of our website, of us put, being put into all these different films. We can do, you know, mugs, whatever, all kinds of stuff. So if you guys are interested in a merch store and you would like to buy stuff from there, let us know. I want to know if you guys think it's a good idea for us to invest into that or to put some idea into that. Another thing is an email list. Uh, what about if you got an email from us reminding you of episodes coming out or is that really worth it or you just rather just follow us on social media? Let us know about that. What if we started a Patreon page? Would you guys contribute to us on Patreon? This could help pay for some of the things like the the merch as well as uh, you know the, just the maintenance of the site and the podcast equipment and things that we need in that area. So if you guys want to support us on Patreon, would you do that? We'd love to know if that thing's like a good idea. The next one is YouTube. Would you guys think uh, it would be a good idea for us to take all of our uh, Twitch streams and put them up on YouTube and see, you know, see video forms of that. Would you guys rather have us on YouTube and other things or any other ideas? Again, merch store, email list, Patreon, YouTube, or any other ideas. If you would like to let us know about those things, we really appreciate it, especially from our fans. Please, please just go ahead, send us a message on our Twitter. Our Twitter is a really good place to do it. Uh, that is uh, at Martini Giant is our Twitter uh, handle over there. Uh, email is also a really good place, and that is just podcast at martinigiant.com. We're available in other ones, but really those are the best ones for us to, to respond to you. Again, Twitter is at Martini Giant, and our email is uh, podcast at martinigiant.com. All right. Thank you for letting me go through all of that, but I really would appreciate your feedback. All right. Enjoy Citizen Kane and make there we are hello everybody <laughs> uh in the chat stream please let us know if you are hearing us this is dan and this that is, is eric there is eric and then the yeah. empty chair like a clint eastwood joke on stage is chris there we go <laughs> no one remembers that i'm pretty sure but that's all right we throw out the references to give it a shot there we are. Okay. Welcome aboard. Ahoy. Ahoy. I think it's working, right? <laughs> it is working. We are live. We are live, live, live. Cool. How are you guys doing? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm, um, yeah it was a, um, I was working um, kind of two shows simultaneously this week for the same company. Yeah. And uh, I've, been, uh, I've been a little burnt out, but I did get to watch Max six times. So that's good. I'm prepped. Six times. Six times. That's pretty good. Yep. Six times. That's... And um, Citizen Kane once. Okay. So we are doing that for this show, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you are correct, sir. Okay. We are doing that. We are doing that for the show. Uh, and uh, yeah, it should be, should be good. Um, I'm using Brady's new recliner. That oh, it looks so for. good. Yeah, it's huge. He got himself this huge recliner for his uh, for his birthday. What he wanted, literally, it's kind of hilarious. And for Christmas, he wants a side table. Like literally, he wants the kind like a TV, like a TV dinner type of table. That's what oh, he right. wants for, for Christmas. Right. That's pretty good, man. He's got a little. He's got some very uh, uh, frasery taste. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. He wants something to put his Valentine's beer down. I like that, man. Like, it's, uh, I think making the decision to be 
uh, Martin Crane, like early on in your life, yeah. leads to comfort and happiness. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, you know what? We got to start recording the Squadcast. Let's yeah. record the Squadcast. Yay, Podcast. recording Squadcast. Here we go. Okay, good. So okay, we're, so we're in here for real now. We are in here for real. Thank you for joining us on Martini Giant. This is uh, a live episode that's on Twitch, as you guys have been following. I have been getting notifications in our email that we're getting more Twitch followers. I don't know how many people are watching us live. Not, not that's many, great. Some, but uh, well, like the this, the chat is is one thing, and then the actual number of people that are watching is another. Right? I'm not sure how the how that works. Oh, okay. You got me. There, there is a slight yeah, echo I from me. Yeah. So, are you, uh, do, do all of you have every on your OBS ninjas? Are you guys muting the other people? Let me uh, make sure that it's happening. I am. Uh, yeah, you are weird. muted. OBS ninja? No. Let me do Dan. How about that? that? Okay. That's better. They can hear me a little bit. Somehow. I'm going to turn down my headphones. Yeah. Oh, that was it. Sometimes. Yeah. Jason just complained this? that he says, okay, no, yeah, I think Jason just said he can hear me echo a little bit. Yeah, it's probably from the headphones. Yeah, okay. Sorry, yep. my mic I think, is, is that better, Jason? I think that's better, Jason, right? I think so. All right. All right there we go. Okay. So, uh, How's so, yes. the audio levels? The audios are, are good, I think. I think they okay. are. Yeah. All right. Um, so today we're going to be talking about uh, Mank. Mank? David Fincher's brand new film available only on Netflix. That's right. And uh, Citizen Kane from Which 1941. Is, <laughs> I think you have to uh, rent. I don't think there's a way no. to stream that. Okay. This has been a conversation. I'm going to wait. Is Dave 3D on, on the chat? <laughs> Dave 3D is not going to be joining us today because he had <sighs> not seen Mank. I, uh, I said that uh, it was not necessarily a problem because... Uh, uh, I think no, that Mank not. is sort of unspoilery. Like, there's nothing. It's not like you're gonna, right? Yeah, you know, like it's just, it's 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 not a it's not a. It's a there's no surprises. Film. There's no surprises. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, uh, but uh, I will say, okay. So here's the here's what happened. I I kind of rage raged yesterday. Remember my whole thing about uh, HBO Max and HBO Go yes. and oh yes, HBO, this continues. The this continues. continues. Okay, so <laughs> finally, what happened yesterday is like, where is it available? to stream Citizen Kane, it's available on HBO Max, not HBO Now. <laughs> oh my God, what a, so I So I, I basically did this. I quit HBO Now uh, uh, from the Roku, because I'm renting it through the Roku. So I quit it, and luckily it expired today anyway. My monthly was gonna expire today anyway. So I basically said, don't renew. And then I went in and subscribe to HBO Max. So now I'm an HBO Max person. I figured, you know what? I'm just going to pull the trigger. And then I decided, well, I can't watch HBO Max through my Roku, but I can watch it anywhere else. So right. I decided I got HBO Max on my PlayStation. <laughs> so I'm no, going to watch you go. it. Nice. Yeah. So, so that for the one streaming channel where I want to watch it, I can still watch it on the PlayStation. Right. right. So, and then I can just basically pull the trigger and watch Citizen Kane on HBO Max. Yeah, which looks great. Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, uh, I went and I went and finally bought a copy. I bought a pretty nice print on Amazon. Okay, there you which go. Yeah, I, I have the the disc, the uh, DVD special edition from like 
12, 15 years ago. Oh, this the Criterion one? Yeah, that's a really, really yeah, nice Yeah, and it's with Bogdanovich commentary. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Plus, I also, um, I have, um, I'll share with you guys later, but um, I have Joe Cotton's tie upstairs, which I'll bring down. Joe and Cotton's this tie. This is my, this yes. is my, this is an amazing book. I don't know if you've seen this. The Making of Citizen Kane. I, I got this in New York like 25 years ago, but it's got like all the production um, breakdowns right. and uh, everything. And even oh, on the script. Yeah, it's, it's a great book. I bought it at Shakespeare & Co. like literally like 30 years ago, but no, it's beautiful. like the Bible. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's total Bible with great production stills. And even uh, production sheets. I know you were curious about that, Dan, about like when they took a break for. I've always um, wanted to know. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's got it in there. The drawings. Did, did, they, did they just oh. go across the street to, I don't know, they were shooting at. Uh, oh, they're yeah, shooting in Culver. They were right? shooting Culver. Yeah. 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 So I really want to know what burger stands they were going to. That was my big thing. Storyboards. Because if you're yeah. Paramount, you go to Astro Burger. That makes sense. That's right. Yeah. I went to Tokyo 2020. Remember Tokyo 2020? That's right. Do you remember that? Tokyo place? 2020. Yeah. There you go. I yeah. think that place was around for a while. They closed, by the way. Now it's a nightclub or something. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sure that nightclub will last and it, be well it's worth total it. 10 10. <laughs> yeah. Uh, exactly. Tokyo 2020 uh, had like the little rascals that used to go there. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah. Like uh, now, who's the most famous of the Little Rascals? I don't know. I never. I wasn't really into the Little Rascals. Did if they it wasn't you, playing like in Greece, me. then I wasn't watching it. They annoyed me. I, I found them. I found them irritating, even when I was young. I was like, "Those little rascals. I don't like these guys. <laughs> <laughs> little sons of bitches." <laughs> <laughs> what if they remade it and they called it "Little Sons they of Bitches"? <laughs> little assholes. <laughs> the little shits tonight. <laughs> Exactly. Tonight on the little shits. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty much how I felt about it. I was just like, uh, who, who's yeah, I was not fucking hanging out with these guys. They're just jerks. Yeah, yeah. I had a yeah. I had a crush on Mrs. Crabtree though. That made sense. Mrs. Crabtree yeah. was Mrs. Crabtree. Sure, let's say it was. <laughs> we didn't have we didn't have uh, when I was living in Greece. We didn't have little rascals, and we didn't have uh, uh, what's the, the the Three Stooges. That wasn't that wasn't a thing. That's a little funnier. Now, Dave 3D would say that's some of the fun, funniest stuff ever. I am I was not more fully of a Marx Brothers person. I'm a Marx Brothers. I'm guy. not on board either. Yeah, no. you don't like the Marx Brothers? Wow, that's shocking. No, no, no. Uh, the uh, the little the, sons of bitches. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I was not totally into. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, I, I I get a kick out of it a little bit. It's just uh, like I like the uh, for that stuff. I like you know. Uh, I don't know, like the slightly less mean but equally violent uh, Buster Keaton material, and uh, you know, like uh, uh, Laurel and uh, Hardy, Laurel and Hardy, Laurel and, stuff and like Hardy, that, yeah. yeah, like that. That's a little, that's a little more fun for me. Like I love the the Laurel and Hardy bit with the piano, and they're trying to push it up the stairs up in uh yeah, in uh outside Silver Lake, Silver Lake, the Echo Park, Echo Park, yeah, Echo Park, yeah, like that's that's just that's good business. But uh, yeah, I just never really, I never really keyed into the Three, three Stooges for some reason. Right. I know people like when you get it, you get it, but it flew, it flew by me for some reason. Don't know. But Marx Brothers, Duck Soup, hell yeah, Duck Soup, uh, and what's the Night at the Opera? Was it Night, Night at the, the Opera? Opera. Yep, yeah, without a doubt. And uh, I have a box set of theirs. 
<laughs> oh, there. 100% yeah, track. Uh, uh, door, day at the races. Is that what the other one? Let's, let's try to remember. I'm getting yeah, exactly. right. Yeah. It's I like, mean, yeah. Gra- Groucho in general, I found to be a hilarious person. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, really, he really had it. That guy really had it. Yeah. Uh, there was a. There so, Chris, you never saw Mank. I did. You did. I did. But prior to this, uh, like, did no. you watch it when it came out last weekend? You just no, 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 no. Remember, so last time we spoke, we basically, uh, we were basically, and this is actually relevant. So last time we spoke, uh. we, were, we were planning on doing this, and uh, uh, I said, okay, so I'll watch Mank, and then uh, you said, uh, I said, okay, and then I said, um, la, what should I do? Should I watch Citizen Kane first and then Mank? And then right. you, you guys said no. Watch Mank and then Citizen Kane because you'll watch Citizen, you'll you'll Citizen Kane because I've already seen Citizen Kane, obviously. But uh, you'll see Citizen Kane in a new light after you watch Mank, right? Mm. Which is exactly what I did. So I mm-hmm. watched Mank and then like three days later I watched Citizen Kane and then immediately after finishing Citizen Kane I watched Mank again. <laughs> oh, excellent! Very good. Very <laughs> because good. I thought it was like, it, and then Mank was even better. Like yeah. Mank is good. <laughs> Yeah, it's a Mank, good Mank, film. Mank is a really good movie. Mank is a really, really good there's movie. There's a lot more there's a lot of really good reasons why Mank is good, and it's very subtle and or not so subtle sometimes. It's just very there's so many levels of that yeah, of like that the, movie that there's are, there's like ten great movies happening at once for various reasons. Mm-hmm. It was like I think that like the and that we can we can talk about Mank after uh, Citizen Kane, if you want to, or whatever you'd like to do. But I will say yeah, that, it's... like, that watching Mank multiple times has become increasingly rewarding. And I highly recommend doing that. Like, going back and forth between Citizen Kane and Mank was actually really rewarding. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, here here's it is, right? Like, I know Dave Fury is not going to join us, but, it's a, but Mank is a very simple story. It's a story about Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. Citizen Kane itself is a story about... William Randolph Hearst's butt disguised as uh, uh, some partly name. partly William Randolph Hearst. Yeah, Hearst, I mean that's yes. that's the it's that's mainly the closest about, connection. Yeah, uh, but it's, yeah, uh, but there's it another is, guy they based it on too. But mm. it, it, it's uh, it's um, his name is uh, Charles Kane, right? Yep, Charles uh, Foster Kane. Charles Foster Kane, yeah. uh, and uh, it's very very closely related to William Randolph Hearst. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, what's also interesting is, uh, so there was obviously it was directed by uh, Orson Welles, but the story of Mank is the other person who's credited with the story of uh, Citizen Kane, who is Herman Mankiewicz, right? And they better known as Mank. And so you go in to Mank and hear about the story of the guy who wrote Citizen Kane, him writing Citizen Kane and hearing his backstory and why he wrote Citizen Kane. Right. And the main, the only giveaway is that basically Orson Welles, according to this movie, Orson Welles had nothing to do with the story of Mank uh, of Citizen Kane. It was all written by Mank. Right. That's, Which is probably not true, but we can get into that part. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's probably yeah, it's not, not true. Right, it's yeah. not but true. This is like just as a just that we'll, we'll get into this further. But like, Mank is based on the idea uh, that was put forth by um, uh, Pauline Kael, famous film critic, um, who wrote a an article for the New Yorker uh, called um, uh, uh, "Raising Cain." And "Raising Cain" is a sort of history of how 
Citizen Kane was made, and it more or less accuses Orson Welles of being the least talented person involved, and he deserves no credit. <laughs> like, right. And, and then it, it became a very famous article and got a lot of traction. It has since turned out to be sort of embarrassingly untrue. And yeah. also Pauline Kael uh, basically uh, stole credit from somebody else for his research that yeah. she used in that article. So she's yeah. been pretty that, horribly that discredited. That person right. actually was a teacher at AFI. He was the teacher for a friend of mine. Yes, right. So like that, so it's a, it's a it's a layered history that goes into this. And um, um, that but person like, also, I'm oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. That person also was the one that came up with the, the theory that like, how did the maid know it was Rosebud when the door was closed? Oh, right, yeah, right, right, right. How did right yeah. because he says Rosebud and then right. the door opens and she comes in. And oh, he right, says right, right. Yeah, yeah, but the, and then the butler says he was there when he said he was it. standing. Yeah, the, yeah, that's right. I was standing right there when he said it. But yeah, the um, uh, but like the so there's two different visions going on here, which actually for me adds to the interest of the comparison of these movies. Yeah, like um, because uh, uh, Citizen Kane itself is uh, a fictionalized sort of cobbled together vision of her, a Hurstian character. But at the same time, is very revealing of Orson Welles himself. I would say, like Citizen Kane yeah. is yeah, is a lot is. about Orson Welles. <laughs> it is, but it, you know, before it actually happened to Orson Welles. But the interesting thing is, if I highly recommend this book that I mentioned earlier, they really go into detail on that the Kale stuff, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of uh, he actually wrote um, a screen. He wrote a book. It's actually, he wrote, it was originally called The American, and he wrote, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Orson Welles wrote a play about a guy, mm-hmm. and also Mankiewicz wrote a film about the same thing, right. and, it's, and it's called Smiler with a Knife. Yeah, that's right, and, about the, uh, the uh, Nazi, uh, yeah. It's a, yeah, like it's a, like subversive but, Nazi elements in, the, in America. Yeah, the interesting thing, though, um, is that they both use that Rose kind of theme mm-hmm. um, uh, in their drafts. So it's really a combination of both of them coming together. Oh, yeah, it. without a doubt. But the interesting thing, I read this book years ago, and I pulled it out to reread it for this. And I just going through it, I totally didn't realize, like – and. I know Mank is not like going to hit the details in the way, but he, he actually, um, the problem was, is that when Orson Welles was with Mank and Mank says, you know, I want credit, mm-hmm. Orson Welles didn't have a problem sharing the credit with him. Yeah. In reality, um, that did not happen. Right. No, but he, he, Mank was asking for sole credit. And then what happened was, which is the interesting thing is is that he handed it to him after Victorville. He went through it with budget and he cut out Rome scenes, the assassination scenes, Mm -hmm. like big chunks he cut out because he had to. He added stuff that he had wrote for, written for stage uh, a few years earlier. I mean, he he did like five drafts. Yeah. And and then Mank came back and worked on it that summer from the end of June through August. Um, but what's the interesting thing is, is that the Writers Guild said, well, wait a minute. If Orson Welles is producer, he the only producer that can have a sole producers. If you're producing the film and writing it, you mm-hmm. only are allowed to have a sole writing credit as right. the writer. Right. So Mank and him went back and Mank um, 
made a contention with the WGA and they allowed it to happen. So Mank actually came back to support Orson. Yeah. Now, because I, I think that like the the relationship between these two films, in, t- in, t- in terms of what Fincher is doing, like I think the f- the first thing, and I, I like we don't we don't have to get into con- like comparing the two just yet, but like the uh, that this movie Mank is not the movie that I expected it to be. It's a it, it was a, it's a great film unto itself, but it wasn't the movie that I thought it was going to be, and I think that um, it uses the idea of Orson Welles is sort of like in the same way that like Ed Wood uses um, uh, Bella Lugosi, you know, like this isn't necessarily true, you know, like, like this, the, the story of Ed Wood and Ed Wood is not how Ed Wood, Ed Wood's life happened, you know, because ultimately Ed Wood is not about Ed Wood. It's about uh, the joy of creation and it's about Tim Burton, you know, like it's, it's a, it's a, it's a movie that uses these ideas uh, and figures as rep- representations of these ideas to talk about something that's more that's more germane to the person who made it rather than trying to fictionalize the life of somebody else. And I think that that's the, uh, the I think that people it's a characterization then it's a character yeah exactly. And so like Orson Welles in Mank is a presence, you know, but he's not really even like barely he's there. not he's barely there. He's barely even a character. He's right. just sort of a force in the film. And uh, he looms over everything. Right, yes. Right, right. But, 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 the, but the idea of the contention between the two, um, particularly at the end where they both kind of have a little cheap shot about each other. Right. I don't know if that was really the case. Do yeah. You, no, I don't, I don't think that that happened. Films. No. Yeah. Well, I don't think that the, happened the, the recording of Orson Welles was for real. That was from an actual radio broadcast. Oh, when he says you can kiss my half, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's a real yeah, nice but, structure. But there was no like super. There wasn't this tension at the end because he literally went on his behalf. You know, yeah. he he worked with him. Oh, yeah. uh, I think I think it's um, what's really interesting is like that whole opera singer thing wasn't Marion Davis, but a guy named McCormick who built a Chicago opera house for right. his girlfriend. Right. Right. And, yeah. Like, uh, it, like it does it, like it maps to like in Citizen Kane. I mean, we bring it back to Citizen Kane. Like Citizen Kane does map to Davies a little bit, but it's not 100% Marion Davies. Like it's, no, a, no, no. she's it, like, it's, it's part of it. It's like of camping and, and jigsaw puzzles and yeah. a little bit, but it really wasn't, um, it was McCormick and um, uh, uh, Hearst. Yeah. He's like, like Orson Welles is, go ahead. Sorry. But the, I actually felt like, because I, I don't know if I highly recommend this book because it's so in depth. But the thing is, the interesting thing about this is that um, the Mankiewicz script, when he finished the first round at Victorville and handed it to him in the middle of May, when he had to have something for budgets, right, mm-hmm. to put a budget together with uh, the, the art directors and, and the studio, it was so hearsed. The whole thing. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And he, uh, he didn't take it out. Um, Orson didn't take the stuff out. He took all the stuff out because of budget. Like he had a assassination scene. He had a funeral scene with his son that died in the car wreck. Yeah. It wasn't, Um, there was a bit where, um, yeah, where you were on the boat where he shoots, um, uh, the producer, like, which, which probably happened. They made a movie. I told you, I told you guys, I told you guys this story. Before, well, but just, I'm going to tell it again. Okay, just finish. quickly, quickly, quickly. Just finish. The thing is, is that he put so much in. It would have been interesting to see more about Mank 
because he was so angry at, at Hearst in some ways or himself. Mm -hmm. But the point is that contention of like, man, you put the whole thing as Hearst, but we can't really do it that way. And him fighting for it to be exactly like Hearst. Right. Do you know what I mean, I think right. it was more of an issue for Mank to be about Hearst because maybe yeah. of what he went through with Hearst than it was for Orson. Well, th this is the thing. What makes it interesting, right, is that the like that Orson Welles. Here's what I think happened on the Orson end of the Citizen Kane deal, right? Is that Orson Welles is was a uh, a showman all the time. Like he is a nonstop. Uh, sure. Sure, like, yeah, I mean, and, and I don't mean. Yeah, and I don't mean it in a bad way. I mean, it's sort of like no. like he's he was constantly selling himself and selling his brand and doing anything it would take to get the shit out there. Like that's what he did. Like uh, like every time he was in front of a camera, in front of a microphone, like he was nonstop <laughs> selling product all the time, right? And uh, and he would use anything to his advantage that he possibly could. And the idea, once the idea that um, Citizen Kane directly mapped to Hearst became like. Um, a popular sort of talking piece. Like, <coughs> then he made then he made use of that, right? Then then he was oh, then yeah. he's like then he's just like like well let's really drive this because that's what's going to drive interest in the picture when the picture itself is not really directly Hearst, you know, no. and it's not really directly I, Marion Davies. No, but the other thing too is that for him it was also because um, none of it was nobody in the picture until the guy who's at the phone booth. Mm -hmm. um, when he goes to visit the club and she's in the back drinking and the reporters in the phone booth with that great long yeah. shot, yeah, he was a character actor who had been in pictures before, but mm -hmm. anybody else hadn't been in pictures. So right, no. the, the funny thing was, is that he you wanted tell. to be, a, yeah, yeah. But you can, but the, the acting is, is not that great in a lot of ways. The oh yeah, no, is, it's pretty. It Citizen like, Kane acting is like, that's the one weakest, that's the weakest part of the film. Well, it's like yeah, I think there's a, yeah, like there's a, there's a couple of things going on. One, there is like there's a there's a flavor of acting in the time, which is different from the way that people act yeah, now. Sure, but there's sure. also yeah, like yeah. pre-Brando, pre-Brando, right? Mm -hmm. um, but even even within that, like there's an archness to the acting in Kane, which is fairly consistent across the board. In like I don't yeah. think it's in a disturbing way, but it but it's definitely not trying to uh, like it's it like it pushes the artifice of the acting pretty hard. You know, like Joe Cotton, Joe Cotton's doing his old man routine as if like when you get old. Yeah, exactly. When you get old, you suddenly pick up a Kentucky accent for some reason, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like this kind of shtick. And of course, yeah. like, um, can um, you give oh, me a cigar? Yeah, cigar, <laughs> that would be wonderful. Mm, would be like, cool. Colonel Angus. Yeah, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. But it's like, <laughs> the, you know, like. Well, I, uh, say, or, I say, I say, he's a cheap <laughs> I don't want to look. I just <laughs> might be in there. But yeah, like the, uh, <laughs> like, but even, in, um, and what's her name playing? Uh, the Davies part, like she is, like you know, and I uh, think the she, toothache you know, is like, ugh. yeah. I mean, like I think that she is like directed to do do this on purpose. I think it's very like it's arch on purpose and it's so consistent throughout. But it does it is a distancing effect in the movie. You know, right. like she's like, I don't want to do that, and you're like, Jesus Christ, lady. We lost you know? Eric. He's back. No, I saw we him lost pop out. Eric. Yeah, oh, right. Eric is frozen. Uh -oh. Is he still? He's gone from OBS. He's gone from OBS. Hopefully, he'll return. This could be a problem. Oh dear. Uh, okay, we'll keep talking while we're here. But, yeah, that. Uh, but yeah, no. There's a, there's a like I, I there's a sort of how can I say it? Like Wells is 24 years old when he's making that movie. Like yeah. 
that feels like the artistic choice of a of a very enthusiastic 24 year old like mm, and right. it's 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 both it's very it's a it's a sharp choice but it's also uh it's a little bit abrasive you know right. like he or orson wells himself is you know he's you know like he's been better in virtually every other movie like he's not like he's 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 such a caricature well, on many levels realized, in this thing. He, he only plays his own age for about five minutes in the right. movie. Right. Right? And, the and then the rest like, of the time, he's right, an old Susan. man. Right. And he's like, right. Argh, overdoing the old man this thing. You're nope. back. I can hear you. You can't back. see you yet. We can't, yeah, we can't see you yet, so you have to join OBS Ninja again. There we go. Okay. All the way. All right. And can then, you see me now? Yeah. Everyone's good. Everyone's now rocking you're and back. You are back, and Sorry. actually, hey, yeah, you're back on. Uh, hey, on, uh, back. oh, there, there's the echo. There's the echo. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Can you hear there me you now? Go. Yeah. Beautiful. Now you're hear an echo. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. How about that? Now? This, this, this no, is the no, power, power break. break check, 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 check. No, How about that? No. no. You, 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 you have, have to. to you have, you have to, to mute, mute us, us on Twitch. <laughs> I did. Okay. Then, then you, have you have to mute us on Twitch. Twitch. Mute, mute to Twitch. Twitch. Is that good? Yep. No. 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 Yeah. Keep going, guys. Yeah. I don't know where it is. Is it me? Hold on. No. No. I have just a thing. So. Huh. I think, I it's, think Jason. it's Jason. No. no. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is that? Do you, Do hear, you hear an echo, Eric? Eric? Yes. <laughs> the stream, the stream has, has been blessed. Blah, 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 I know. I know. We just should be at a Friday, Friday the 13th, 13th podcast. podcast. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. This is annoying as shit. Okay. okay. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, we, uh, can we can fix, fix this. this. All, right. All right. Sorry. Sorry. Technical, Technical issues. issues let's, let's do this. this. Eric, Eric, go, go on to OBS, OBS Ninja. Ninja. Make, Make sure, sure you're using what you're selecting your mic and your, and your headphones. headphones. Do you, do you see, see that? that? Yeah. But Some damn okay. martini giant. How's that? Okay. I'm an external producer. Now, now go on, on to, to uh, uh, Squadcast, Squadcast and do the same, same thing. thing. Um, mute Mike. No. No, just see see what's what your click on the gear next to your name and select what your headphones are. You have the Mo Movi Sound Grabber and then the U USB audio device. So that should be correct. Yeah. Okay. And then do you still have Twitch open? I'll close Twitch. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Only you are echoing to me, Chris. Oh, and me. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were both echoing. I don't know what there is. It sometimes it's me. Hold on. <laughs> Stay with us, people. If I do this. We're almost there. If I do this, now it's not stops echoing, but that shouldn't do that. So it's so the echo is coming from my Squadcast feed. And I don't know how that happened. 
Uh, hold on. I'm not sure if it's you. Not sure it's Eric. Yeah. All right. Let me hit stop recording. And I'm okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop the squadcast and I'll go back back on. So stay in the squadcast. Okay, we'll do. But I have to hit stop. Okay, hold on. Wait, no, it's not. It's still echoing. Okay, you guys can still hear me on. Oh wait, Eric's did you come in twice, Eric? Says Jason. Okay, and now he's gone. My mama. Okay, he muted okay. himself out of existence. Well, I can. I can still hear, I don't hear an echo from me because I'm out of Squadcast, right? Yep, just me. But I hear an echo from you, Dan, because you're still mm -hmm. in Squadcast. So I think it's something that happened in the Squadcast. Do you want me to leave Squadcast? Hold on. Um, just a second, Eric. Yeah, we can. Hear I can you. hear you, and I'm looking at you in Squadcast. Okay. Now I'm joining. Do I hear an echo? I see. Do I hear an echo? No echoes. Do I hear an echo? No. No echo. We have no picture from Eric, but everything. No else picture seems fine. from Eric. No. No, we not don't. Not on Twitch. Not on Twitch, because you you joined twice. <laughs> so hold on, I have to go reconnect your link. Stay right there, guys. I'll be right back. Uh, what a pain in the butt. Yeah, sorry about this, folks. This is causing us to talk like we're drunk and we're not drunk. <laughs> this is just when you hear a delay and uh, it scrambles your brain when you're trying to say things. Yes. I have, uh, well, I've, I have straight through paid attention to it with my eyeballs. Uh, two and a half times, about definitely two times, and slightly a little bit more than that. Uh, but I've uh, I've had it play while I have been um, painting, uh, so basically right next to me on the second screen, um, and uh, listening to the dialogue and uh, rewatching specific scenes for their uh, execution. And uh, uh, I I found that I found I got more and more out of this movie every time I watched it. Which yeah. is uh, very exciting for me. All right. All right, here comes Chris. All right. We're back in red roll. Okay. How's this? We should be back to normal. We are back to normal. Yeah. Everyone's back to normal. Yes. All right. Back there to we normal. Go. Okay, so we uh, to, to to cut it in, we were talking about uh the bad acting and Susan Kane take it away, Chris. Okay, the bad acting Citizen Kane. Uh well that's Citizen Kane is an important film for a way more reason. I mean, it, they did things in Citizen Kane that they're still like mind-blowing shots that would just that doesn't make any sense. Oh, for sure. Uh, so big, uh, big issues uh, that are are quite like quite amazing on Citizen Kane. The acting was not necessarily the same thing that I appreciated, but I tell you what, there was such 
so many weird little things in Citizen Kane. It's been analyzed to death, this film, obviously, for many mm-hmm. reasons. And it was really amazing to see Mank again right after seeing Citizen Kane again, mm-hmm. because he adds all those weirdnesses to that to somehow explain how some of these things happened. Like there was uh, right. like, you know what I mean? Like there was like weird things that were happening in the film. And I was like, huh. That was interesting. But I want to sidetrack real quick because this is really um, a story about the writing of Citizen Kane. And I want to tell you my 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 Kane story that I had. I yeah. went to Phil and I meant I mentioned this uh, story before, but it's very relevant, obviously, today. But uh, this when I was went to architecture school, I took so elect uh, 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 electives, and I took a film history class. And obviously, Citizen King was in the film history class. And uh, I was going to write a paper, and I decided to write a paper on Citizen Kane, you know, because you have to write a paper. And so I went to the library and I looked up Citizen Kane in the in the computer system as it does back then, and it said one of the titles that came up was Citizen Kane by Orson Welles. <laughs> Uh, right, right. There you go. And I went there, and I went to the stacks, and it was literally a script of Citizen Kane, typed, typed. <laughs> an actual Citizen Kane. Script. Actual Citizen, like it was not a photocopy. Right. <laughs> it was typed, right. and you could see they had marks, sound marks in there, written in pencil. <laughs> it just happened, no jeepers creepers. And it was, and it was like you know, there was uh, there was a thing about the cockatoo. Remember that? And oh, it yeah. says, "I ah, want to hear right. the cockatoo very loud." Like was written right. on on in the script in pencil. Yeah, by right, probably right. like Orson Welles, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And so I was like, "What the fuck?" And so I I took I checked it out of the library. I checked it out of the library, and then I went to um, the uh, uh, my film history teacher and i said by the way i'm writing this paper and i decided to go to the library and i checked this book out and he looked at me and goes where the hell did you get this <laughs> said, from the library i just told you and he goes this shouldn't like this should be this a, a collection like this you know this is he goes I, I i said where where did this come from and he goes it came from ironically uh dominique de, Man- uh, de manil do you know who dominique de manil is no so she is a very, very wealthy person in Houston. <laughs> she is uh-huh. like William Randolph Hearst of Houston, right? right? And she's a big person in the arts. So she creates all these Manil, the Manil museums, right? Designed by like Renzo Piano and all these different like amazing architects, right? So there's also the the, the Rothko Chapel that was designed mm-hmm. by uh, by Philip. Uh, uh, what's his name? Ando. No, Philip uh, Johnson. Oh. Johnson says, thank you, PJ. So anyway, so <laughs> she had all this stuff and she donated it to the, uh, to the library in, uh, at, at, at Rice, but they didn't realize what they had and they just put it on the shelf. <laughs> like, amazing. okay, here we go. And so I he said, you got to get, I says, he says, you got to get this back to the library and tell them that they have to put it in the, you know, in the rare book section. This is, you know, needs to be handled with like yeah, white gloves. Priceless. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I said, Okay. And so I took it and I went to Kinkos with it. <laughs> and I photocopied Do you still the have entire... it? I don't know. I don't oh, think I did. Oh, man. You got to make me a copy if you have it. That's pretty <laughs> great, dude. That's like going to the library and asking them if they have a folder with $250,000 in it. And they're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you can just check that out. And you're like, I'm going to bring this back to the library now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. 
so uh i yeah i basically had this book and i'm like okay and um it was just anyway so i, I photocopied the whole thing i went, took it back to the library and anyone here who who's in Houston, go to the Houston to the Rice University Library. See if you can find that script. It may still be right on the shelf. Oh my God! Dude. No, yeah. I can't believe they would do that though. I I went back. I told them. I said, "Here's a book." I went to the library and I said, "I am returning this book. This is the original one of the original scripts of Citizen Kane. It had missing scenes in it, just like yeah, you were saying. Like this, is a, this is a shooting script for sure. Right. right. And it That's had amazing. definitely had missing scenes, which were by the way crossed out in pencil. That's <laughs> incredible. That's great. Okay, yeah. uh, and so I, 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 I said you have to go. This has to go into the and they're like, oh, that's interesting. interesting. <laughs> and then I went back a week later. It went on the stacks, and sure enough, it was back on the stacks like all the other books. This is stupid. <laughs> that's that's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> so uh, and so now thinking back to that experience, and then looking at Mank, I'm like, oh shit, man, this is even more relevant that that happened. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's that's that fits right into the the uh, sort of uh, historical nat or narrative of this picture and Orson Welles. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I wonder how just, she ended up with it. Oh, she yeah, collected everything, dude. She had. She, yeah, but she, who gave it to her? How did she? Oh, I don't know. That's don't amazing. Know. Like that. This. That's a movie that. She ends was, with but that she was like. A, she, was like a she was like a king. She was like a. Beside, well, she was a very nice person and a philanthropist. Also, happened to be very wealthy, but she was a, similar to 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 man to 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 Kane, where she collected art from all over the right. world. You know, right. they had uh, the piano museum was incredible. It had tons and tons of stuff in there. The the Manel Museum. I mean. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous. And then there is a, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Cy Twombly Museum that yeah. she made as well. So there's a whole, that's just oh, crazy. And of course, you know, she was uh, very influential for the Fine Arts Museum as well, which was designed by Mies van der Rohe. And, you know, it's like, it's crazy, crazy stuff going on there. It was, but I just, it, all of it seems so there's so many things that are related in, in that story. And then I, I was watching Kane. I was like, it's kind of hard to watch Kane now after Trump's election. Like yeah, to, right. there's a lot of similarities besides, well, Kane was slightly smarter than Trump, but yeah, it's true. It's true. But, but everything else was like, Oh my God, the affairs, oh, yeah. the, uh, 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 the paper that he ran is like which one should we run? Oh, he, he wins or or, yeah. or fraud at the election? Fraud at polls, yeah. Exactly. Fraud at polls, yeah. Like yeah. Jesus, yeah. No, it's it just felt like Trump. Like it just felt like that, you know. Which is uh, uh, there were uh, a also, lot of guys like that back in New York at the turn of the century sure. too. Tammany Hall stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, and uh, I think that was based on a real thing too. Hmm. Um, uh, uh, a, a real incident I as well it. as yeah but yeah, because, uh, like, it, I, I, th I do think that kane is actually i mean it's like like you're saying Eric, it's like this is cobbled together over a, out, of, out of a bunch of different things you know like this is not like supposed to be like the 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 story of william randolph hearst with his name changed like it's it's totally different than that right uh, and uh, you, go ahead i you know i think the one thing that listening to the Bogdan, I love Bogdanovich, just like his. Oh, he's great. The, yeah, his books, like Who the Devil Made It, is like one of my favorite books. And I think when I was listening to the Bogdanovich uh, Kane, he does a voiceover on the disc for the mm -hmm. special edition. He basically 
the interesting thing is he talked about Greg Tolan and he said that Greg came in, Craig, Greg Tolan really, he did Grapes of Wrath and he yeah. really wanted to work with Orson Welles. And Orson Welles, first day of set, he's going around and telling the guys to move the lights at different sure. places. Right. Right. And the producer comes up to Greg Toland as Orson's walking around the soundstage and he's like, he's like, what's he doing? He's like, waves him off. He's like, just go, don't worry about it. He's like, I want to work for somebody who doesn't know anything about the process, but wants everything. Yeah, so exactly. I'm actually going to learn from him. And I think that's the whole movie is like, Wells just a kid in a candy store, right. Mm -hmm. With the ego and just doing everything. He didn't, worry about anything he yeah, didn't, he's just he going didn't have the knowledge about so lighting. so why okay. he thought let's the, let's, he, let's, let's sorry, go he back. thought the director moved the lights and lit the scene sure. right he just right. thought Tolan did you know put the camera there right but but, but to quickly Tolan was like don't tell him that i don't mind that i'm not offended yeah, well, the thing is because Tolan's. i mean Tolan's is great for he wanted anyway, to learn from but him. like you, Tolan, hold, Tolan, wait wait Tolan, wait guys you guys are jumping ahead you guys are jumping there's a lot of missing information there's a lot of there's a lot of missing information first yeah. of all why did why did uh 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 why did Orson Welles get this picture? Why was it? Why did he? Was he like you can do whatever you want, unlimited budget? He was the do wonder kid that did basically. He did um, uh, the Shakespeare in uh, in Spanish Harlem, and yeah. he basically he did, um, did uh, the African version of Macbeth, right? He Macbeth, did and he did that. Uh, and he was considered version of Macbeth, right? Yes, and he yeah. was considered the wunderkind, and so he hyped right. himself up so much with the Mercury worlds. Theater plus yeah. War of the Worlds right. that they said you can do anything you wanted, yeah. and right. so he arrives and says, "I just want to do it this way." Of course, he caught back a lot because of the budgetary because he wanted to get it done. Right. But when he showed up on set, he's like, "Let's just do it this way: cut a hole in the floor, put the camera here." Now Tolan was like. That's great. I'll learn from you. The beauty, I think, what made it. Who is Tolan? Greg Tolan is the cinematographer. That's what, yeah. I know that, but we need to. <laughs> people yeah, know so that. Yeah, so he was the director of photography. <laughs> right. And basically, in a normal set at that time, you know, there were rules. And the, 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 the cinematographer sets it up, blocks the shot. Right. Orson's walking around telling guys to move lights and right. like a stage director. And the thing and is, he, that Tolan and, is but the beauty, right. Like, but Tolan's, Tolan's like, right. I will learn from him. Right. And it's refreshing to work from somebody who doesn't know his limits. Right. Because like Tolan's photography previous to Kane is very, very good, but it's no Kane. Like, being no. Kane, like the reason why Kane is great is because Wells is asking for the impossible all the time. You know? yeah, and, and, and that's why Bog that's what the challenge. I highly recommend Margot the commentary said. by Bogdanovich because Bogdanovich also, as soon as that opening frame starts, He's saying, this was the first time you saw a title card like this. Right. Where right. it presented like Mercury, Orson Welles. It was never done before. And you look at the photography where, and he, the, for me, it's like the suicide scene where she drinks all the stuff. Mm -hmm. Using that diopter, it's like he basically, everything was about economy. Like how much you can wedge into one shot. Right. And that's, he's like, if you look at Kane, it's just a set of economy. That's what Tolan learned. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? He learned just from Orson saying, no, we're going to just compress everything as once. Yeah, it's, a, the it's all stage. Through the window. Like, right. Yeah, state. The boy's in the window. You can see him. Right. We pull back. We put the chairs together. And right. she signs it there. And the boy's still in the back. 
right. and you have all this dialogue over all the deep focus stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, because that was because because like uh, uh, Wells main sort of uh, because he comes from stage. So I'll just condense what you're saying. Because he comes from stage, everything is about blocking for Orson Welles. Like yeah. he wants everything to be happening in front of the audience all the time, like it is on stage. You know, where where you are choosing where to look and where you're looking at this like basically every frame is a is a box of chocolates that you can like this assortment of things to look at, right? And so like uh with you know, Tolan knowing how to light things and frame things well, uh, but getting these instructions to jam pack these frames, you come up with some of the most classic shots of all time. Like it's yes, just incredible. And with no ego, he allowed him to dictate. Yeah. Meaning it's fine. All right, let's try to do it. It wasn't right. like, wait, hold on, we're going to do here, and then we got to do a master, and then cut back. There's not a lot of cutting. Yeah, do you know what you I mean? Don't no, to, they, they don't need. To, they don't need it. Don't That's to. right. And so it was really Tolan saying, "You tell me what to do." I think and, it's a wonderful and, attitude. That's exactly yeah. How do it. But he realized that about him because he's, because he said it's a guy with no. He doesn't know his limits. Right. He's full, so full of himself. Well, and more so Wells genius. Yeah. Would say the same thing. He said the same thing about himself later on. He was, he was like, I had the, you know, the fearlessness of, uh, That's right. of, 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 a of an idiot. You know, it was just like, I, you know, you, like if you're walking down a mountain path and you don't realize that one side just falls away into, you know, a thousand foot cliff, you're just going to walk, walk ahead like there's no problem. And you're not going to make any mistakes because you're, you're, you're casually fearless. And it's because you don't know what you're doing. You know, right. and uh, and the and the real trick he said was like was when you do start to know what you're doing to re still remain fearless, like that's it's the actual trick. I you know? I highly recommend the Bogdanovich commentary because he lived with Orson Welles in the seventies. Yeah, that's right. And he basically he said, you know, I look at your stuff, Orson, and like the scenes where. He said, that's right. I failed out of college. And, you know, the next 60 years, you spend a million years, a million, a million dollars a year on this newspaper. It would take me 60 years to spend it. You know, that scene, he right. said, that scene is so compressed with all Joe Cotton coming in and out and you're there and it's the dark foreground. He's like, yeah. that's an extraordinary economy and compression of the scene, but yet there's so much information there. Oh, when he fires like, him? What, yeah, and he's like, when, no, before that, when he was talking about how he spent a million dollars a year, and right. he basically right. said to Bogdanovich, Bogdanovich said, that's an incredible scene, how much information and economy, you're not cutting back and forth, right. and how much you can press it and keep everybody there. He's like, yes, that's kind of shooting. He's like, it's a very hard thing to shoot like that. He said, yes, but that's what separates the men from the children. <laughs> yeah, hey, man. Because no, well, yeah. he was fearless. Think, he's like, let's do it. The thing yeah. I think was also interesting was uh, uh, um, the only real big dialogue shot was the 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 time passing with his wife, like the mm -hmm. breakfast scene. Right. That one. That was the only one where you see the camera moving more. Most and everything. Yes, but what's interesting that was a cut scene because the the Mankiewicz script had a all lot the, all the stuff. Like, all the stuff yeah. so that's really a comp like recut after some of the extra right. stuff they shot, made it a montage right? pretty much right. <laughs> yeah oh, but people it was will really think what i tell them to think you know that kind right. of stuff yeah, but, but right that's great stuff. filming what's yeah. the interesting thing is somebody who like i read a lot of history books like i there was a a book called the chief about 20 years ago that i read on hearst and i've read citizen wells and a couple other biographies of wells and the bogdanovich stuff but mm -hmm. Hurst and Wells had ex 
exactly the same childhood. Yeah, it's no surprise at all. Um, yeah. Hearst was an only child. His mm -hmm. father was a big silver mine guy, and he owned 40 or 300,000 acres off of Monterey. Mm -hmm. And it was like he was an only child, and he spoiled him. Um, Orson Welles, same thing. Right. Yeah. No, the they're exact like this. I went to Ireland and to study at 14 or 15. His mother was doting on him, spoiled yeah. him. Hearst's mother spoiled the shit out of him. I, uh, I really recommend there's a documentary that's on um, Criterion right now called The Eyes of Orson Welles. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a, it's sort of, it's like a, an essay about how this, the filmmaker feels about Orson Welles as he goes through a bunch of Orson Welles old materials and uh, mainly focused around Welles's paintings and artwork. And, uh, and it's such a, uh, it's such a gentle, but deep appreciation of who Welles is emotionally as an artist that it really it's one of the first things that sort of softened my i've always loved wells but i've had a harder opinion on him of him of him until relatively recently you know like because like so much of the, like there's a reason like there's a reason why pauline kale and people like Colin kale who like pauline kale i love pauline kale's writing i think she was a great film critic even though i disagreed with her i thought she's a great writer and was fantastic about writing about film um but uh pauline kale uh, like just give the brief history for the thing that made her famous here when she wrote the piece for the New Yorker that basically sandbags Wells, like she had uh, pitched doing this, um, do, uh, writing this thing up as far part of the, uh, the citizen Kane book, right. That was being put out. And uh, she approached uh, the person you're talking about, the guy you're talking about, who was the, uh, the film professor uh, who was, at the same time working on a piece about Citizen Kane and said, we should do this together and have two pieces that appear in the front of the, uh, the uh, Citizen Kane book. Right. And he says, that sounds fantastic. So he sent her all of his research oh. uh, and, uh, and then his piece got booted and she used all of his research and didn't credit him for it. Like basically wrote her piece off the back of everything that he had done. And then it added in this whole hit piece element of, well, you lost you Eric me? again. Oh, you're gone again? Uh, from Squadcast. Oh, no. Sad. Eric, see if you can rejoin Squadcast. Uh, but, uh, like, what's what's sort of fascinating about it is that... Perfect. Uh, are you back in? I heard another ping. Yeah. There it sucks, go. man. I'm so sorry. Oh, that's right. So, like, the, so the fascinating thing about that is, like, if you look at um, uh, uh, Pauline Kael writing about Orson Welles, right, like... Pauline Kale wanted to take down Orson Welles in the same way that he wanted to take down a person like Hearst, right? Um, like he wanted to be like, you know, like slightly sympathetic, but basically a character assassination piece that uh, shows why this person is internally damned and terrible and why they did so many terrible things. And Kale wanted to do that. So Kale, like Kale's Hearst was, um, was Orson Welles. Right. And so another way to say that is Kale was Orson Welles. Like she was exactly the same. Like she wanted to take this guy down because she resented everything that she already was doing. Like that you mm. or that was her history. That was who she was. And then you see the same thing in Wells, where it's just like Wells is looking is attracted to figures like this because they had the same history as he did. And you can see that his life tracks in the same sort of weird, tragic way 
that when you watch Citizen Kane after knowing what happens to Orson Welles as a artistic personality, like that's what happened to him. He was out in the he was out in the wilderness by the end of his career, you know. And like it, uh, uh, like to see that this see this weird sad path um, be so attractive to someone so young as if they knew they were already on that path, and then see it again in Pauline Kale being obsessed with the same thing. I was like. That's but really why did she strange. go after him? What was her her? What was the main? Kale's reason? a really Kale's an interesting character. Like I don't know very much about her personal history, but like you know she her head because I also give her a lot of credit because was she a film critic or what is she? She's yeah. a film. She's a very famous film critic from the sixties um, and seventies. She's dead. Um, but she she wrote uh, really wonderful film reviews for the New Yorker and a very sharp, uh, smart, funny person. Uh, great Mark writer. pokes at her on the commentary. Oh. By the way. Oh yeah, sure. I'm, I'm sure he hates her. My God. And like, so I don't, like, I don't uh, like, I, and I'm not trying to bloat, like, I don't, I don't know if she was a nice person. Clearly she like engaged in some scumbag tactics with the, with the cane book. Um, but I do think that she's interesting in that she also championed um, uh, Bonnie and Clyde. She's like, she's the reason why Bonnie and Clyde became a big famous film. Right. Everyone hated Bonnie and Clyde when it came out. And she was the one person, one critic who yeah, but was, was she, because she was infatuated with Warren Beatty. Possibly. Yeah. But like she was right about what she was saying, which is like, this is, this is the new Hollywood. Like this movie is a, is, is the fresh new thing that we've been waiting for and everyone's missing the boat on it, you know? And so it was through her work that that movie became popular. And Bonnie and Clyde is at least to me, a pretty clear divining line uh, between old Hollywood and new Hollywood. And you can yeah. see it in the, in the the movie is like a combination of both. And it's like this absolutely radically charged, super sexualized, very violent, classically styled film. And, uh, and she was, she was right on top of it. And I think that like, she was always attracted to personalities like Beatty uh, and people that were bringing this radical um, freshness to the art. Right. Um, and I think something about Wells uh, hurt her feelings. Like either he was too good at what he did and she resented the idea that he got all the credit um, or like she he he let her down uh, artistically in some way because she is never able to sort of balance the fact that she clearly loved Citizen Kane, but clearly hated Orson Wells. And like what whatever it was post Citizen Kane for her. Like she was just like, I'm going to destroy. She's like, this, I'm, guy. this needs to be a great movie that doesn't have well, and it's not because of Wells. Like exactly. somehow she wanted, to, she right, she need so she 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 needs to prove that to herself in one right. way or another, whether right. it was and, true or not. And I, and I think that she, I don't think that she, I think that she believed it, and I think that that ended up sculpting her choices when she was representing. I don't think she hadn't lied, but like she she lied to herself about it. And like I think that that one way to look at it is, uh, oh, I'm sorry, my video cut up. Um, but um, uh, one way to look at it is that uh, it's the same thing. Like when people today um, have an artist that they love, and they find out that that artist has done something that is personally offensive to them, and then they don't right. know how to deal with that anymore. Like they're just like, how do like my my idol turns out to be a scumbag. You know, it's like, how do I, how do I, how do I deal with Roman Polanski is the, is the same question we always talk about, you know, like right. I love his films. They're incredibly meaningful to me. And he himself has done terrible things. And it feels yep. like something like that must've happened for Pauline Kael. I don't know if that's true, but that's like, that's the, that's the tone. Like the, the, the article is so malicious and it affected the, the, 
the view of Orson Welles and Kane for so long that not only did that article affect my opinion of Orson Welles, but it bled into everything else that I would read about Orson Welles and it colored my opinion of Orson Welles for decades. You know, you know I, I kind of also wonder, she's an opportunist. Obviously, she stole from that professor. Sure. So it's like, I, I'm wondering if she kind of saw herself like Warren as kind of at the forefront of the new cinema. So why not kick when they're down the, the, the totally. icons of the old cinema? And I'll totally. just use this to get ahead because she stole yeah. the material and obviously to get ahead. Yeah. I mean, and like that, she's an a, opportunist. Right. Like, and, and certainly at the most basic level, like the most um, sort of. The most satisfying thing about uh, slaughtering sacred cows is that you are evangelizing yourself, like that yeah. you know better than the or than old Hollywood does or the old literature does or whatever. It's just like I know better about such and so. I'm just like, like yeah, like it's like when you see like a lot of people. People do this in books when they're just like, I don't know. I think that Charles Dickens is overrated. I'm just like. You can not like Charles Dickens. That's fine. I'm not a giant Dickens fan. But when you start right. talking about things being overrated, that means that your sense of other people's emotions is greater than their own. And that's ludicrous. Yeah. Like people yes. react how they react and they should, you should, you should honor that. You know, if it's meaningful, well, we stated that away. we basically stated last week that it's a wonderful life is overrated. <laughs> well, yeah, like I think I think that I don't think I don't think you understood wonderful life is overrated. I think that like it no. is it is part of a different time period, and yes, people yes, and yes. I think that like the the stuff that people like the what I what, I think we used it to emphasize how much we liked uh, how much we loved um, uh, Family Man, but like yeah. I don't mean I never mean to diss anyone's love of of something they love. Like what's wonderful life is a great movie and people love it. Then that's all it needs to be, right. you know? And I think that, uh, but there's something very sort of, uh, uh, sort of, uh, narcissistically self-satisfying for someone like Pauline Kale, where you're just like, I get to take down, you know, my great white whale, you know, and make well, a, make a name for myself. It's a way to, to propel herself forward. Yeah. She's part right. of the new, new, new group of people coming in. Right. She championed, and, you know, right. uh, Bonnie and Clyde. And so there and, you go. And then, and then later on, when she became a, like the established film critic, like she didn't recognize when other things were great. Like she, she, like she liked her. She was dedicated to her, her, uh, her old movies now. And so when movies like you know, um, Aliens came out or Terminator, she was just like, oh, these klutzy science Junk. fiction yeah. films. I'm just like. Yeah. You, when you were young, you would have known that this was going to change everything. Like you would have been yeah. sensitive to that. And I think that that's a story that Not I always be afraid feel. of the change. Exactly. Exactly. She pushed for the change, but then in the end, she's afraid of the change. She but becomes afraid. Of it. It's yeah. a constant evolving art form. Yeah. 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 And I think that that's, that's a thing that like the reason I wonder, like I, I, I look at that and I think like, why does that, why is that such a common story as pe for people as they age? Like, why are there so few people that are able to evolve with those changes? Like, there, there are very few Bowies of the world, you know, uh, right. uh, who are who continuously recognize the new and the great, you know, and uh, that, try to participate. Because of it. people don't want to, you know, it's hard. It's hard for it's hard to 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 evolve in with music right right like it, music evolves in a lot of ways right but there's it's and so does filmmaking and so it's hard you know like well you know these oh they don't make them like they used to i mean that's that's the nostalgia right 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 <laughs> but yeah, actually, so I actually exactly. there was, a, there was a, a pivotal week this week because um i you know touching on the music besides having a 
colonoscopy and a root canal oh, within two times. days. <laughs> it, it, was, it was the worst two days. It's, it was brutal. Horrible. But yeah, it was really bad, dude. Wednesday, <laughs> Tuesday, Wednesday, so Tuesday, sorry. Thursday. But the thing is, Bob Dylan sold his entire catalog to Universal know, for heard, 320 yeah. million. How do you feel about that? If, you know, it's just, it's his music, you know, 643 songs. And I'm a yeah. huge Bobologist, but I just, for me, it's just basically saying he sees everything just all over. Yeah, he's old and he wants to secure his family's future, but to sell all of that off, it's like, it's over. Right. You know, like right. not for him, but just everything. Like this whole medium is just right. a little time capsule now and just pass it on. Yeah. It yeah. was, it's a huge thing because yeah. you'd think that he would sell his songs like 20 years ago. You'd be like, you're out of your mind. Right. Yeah. It's a big deal. And hey, you know Hawk who else just way. sold? <clears throat> I just want to say, uh, Hey Hawk 2 in the uh, chat line said, I'd rather argue something is underrated than overrated, though I will cop to both at times. Yeah, so me, me too. Certainly, I would definitely say, like, I, yeah. like, underrated is a great thing to say. And I have said things are overrated. Well, in that's the, past, the thing. So. Okay. So we should actually, <clears throat> I don't know if, 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 Hey Hawk, if you were on last week when we were talking about the family man, but that's basically what we did uh, is we basically, we didn't necessarily say that. Uh, it's a wonderful life is overrated, but we did say that the family man is highly underrated because yeah, no one had so. seen that film right. and Brett Ratner recorded it. And it was uh, like, no one would ever see a Brett Ratner film. A Christmas. Yeah, film no one's going back through be... the Brett Ratner, you know, filmography. And, right. Uh, they, and and they, it, they... Is, it is shocking the, the, this film, how good it is right. considering all, everything. Uh, um, oh, and, yeah, and so. now I recognize you. It's Dan Hawkins, a friend of mine. Hello, Dan. <laughs> Thanks for coming, man. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, Dan and I um, have had uh, many a talk on Facebook because we're part of the same Facebook book club about this very thing. And I, I, I think that's it. It's just like there's like love what you love, man, one hundred percent. Like never let anyone try to take that love away from you on something. And uh, and Pauline Kale wanted to take the love away from Orson Welles from everybody about Orson Welles. Like that's what was her goal, you know? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think that's, I think that's too bad. And I think that's anti-film and anti-art to do that. Uh, and I, and, and so at the same time, it I want to say personal. It, it seems, seems personal. personal. Right. At the same time, and, and, I want to say, and, 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 so, is great. and, and I don't want to know, I don't want to say it's ironic because that's exactly what Citizen Kane is about. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And what Monk exactly. is about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but but it yeah it's always like I don't like this person and they're getting credited for a bunch of things. Yep. So uh, honestly, I don't know how much we can really we really need to to get into all the things about Citizen Kane as a as a film because it, it has been discussed quite a bit and I'm sure we will. But I almost feel like we should talk about Mank more about all the things that are interesting sure. in Mank, right. and then how it feeds all the Citizen Kane stuff that we saw because first of all couple things I want to say about it. David Fincher, my level of respect for him has skyrocketed because of yeah. this. And yeah. I'm going to say this specifically because he did things that somehow would normally be the most un-Fincher thing. But because he has such respect for this film and for Susan Kane, and I think his dad wrote it, right? Jack? Jack yeah, uh -huh. Jack, uh, Jack Fincher, who was a reporter. Jack Fincher wrote it, right? So... Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> he put things in that film that really try to emphasize it as a medium and respect for it mm -hmm. that would never like, for example, a lot of the driving scenes just look like bad 
CG. Yeah, it's yeah. Oh, right? yeah. They they let it they let it be an effect. They let it be like the old driving. They made it look stuff. like yeah. a driving effect for yeah. shoot in the forties. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that is, and Fincher it comes from visual effect. I mean, he's very, very, oh, yeah. very savvy about visual effects. Yeah. So you think he it's would also never, a budgetary thing too? No, no, not no. at all. Not even in the slightest. Not at all. <laughs> like that's well, no. just because like, like we, we were doing he that did same it on purpose. Uh, he yeah. did stuff like the, those long shots where just like. Uh, you know, the rosebud shot, the nurse coming in to see him with the glass. He, he emulated shots in that. He did. And but he, listen, he, he didn't, even had, he didn't he even use had the, the compressed little... scene thing where it's the diopter. He, he was trying to do some. I just, I felt like there was definitely because of the sets uh, and some of the, the art direction that, you know, I don't know how much money he had for it, but. Oh, I don't think so. I think he put a lot of the, the he even dude. It was all shot digitally on red. Right? Yeah, yeah. He had all the film. He had all this film grain on it, and it's a red camera that only shoots black and white. By the way, yeah. yeah. And and he had the little film grain. He thing, did the Timberlake video he, with it. Yeah, he put real. the little the little thing between the reels where it goes boop, you know, in yeah, the side. The cigarette burn. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. The cigarette. Yeah. 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 He had that for, for, uh, you know, in, in the, in the shots and I'm like, Jesus, you know, and then he treated the sound very much treated the sound to make it sound like it was recorded from the forties. Well, it was, and specifically, it, was it sounds like you're, it sounds like you're in a theater. Like that's like, it yeah. gave, he gives you a, a very soft echo. That's he very does. Faded you're back. right. Yeah. And that is also because he knows it's on Netflix. Yes. Yeah. And it's really, <laughs> right? it's a really a bunch of really fascinating choices that he made. Uh, technologically in this thing and like the thing is like i think that he goes like he does a lot of like like for as classical as the movie uh is generally and then like like he he does like you know pull shots straight from canon and sort of mimic those shots they're not like he's not just mimicking things to mimic them like he's like he's got a little bit of a loaded weapon with each one of these things and well, like it the, seems like well, it seems like he's doing it to, to... weapon because like the different like for instance the famous um like the famous shot of the snow globe, uh, yeah. right, right, cra- uh, falling out of Kane's hand, is mirrored uh, the, as the, the, uh, the, the bottle the falling drinking. out, of, yeah. right. Yeah. But the thing that is falling out of his hand is uh, the is the sort of the knockout juice that Houseman and Wells are giving him. It isn't just booze, like that's no, 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 it's sleep. Second, right. second it's second all and that's a different thing like that's like when you see it in the ads i saw it in the ads like oh he's doing the shot from can only with booze and you know makes an alcoholic so there it is like it's it i thought it was the sort of easy marriage when actually it's saying something that's right on with the theme which is right what he is truly addicted to is uh his relationship with um uh, with wells and people like hausman and the studio uh, that in a in a way that sort of get, allows him to go back to sleep. This this movie is this movie is about this for me. Like I'll just put my cards on the table on this thing. The reason why I like this movie is not because it has anything to do with Orson Welles, Citizen Kane, or William Randolph Hearst. Like it is, it, like that's tangential. Like this yep. movie is about right now. Like this is a modern film about today. That's what the movie is for me. And like he is, uh, he's making a movie about uh, being an artist right now and your responsibilities right now, uh, as uh, instead of saying, "Oh, the old times," and remember how great Cain was, all that stuff. Well, instead, he uses all that stuff to pull you in and to slap you around a little bit. 
but that's the same kind of thing he does when he makes a serial killer movie uh, and draws you in with the saucy bits, but then says something else with it. You know, I think that there's a different movie that's happening uh, in the background of this movie that I would say is like, this is more of a sister movie to the social network than it is to anything to do with Citizen Kane. Like it's on the surface and it's an extraordinary surface, a very beautiful uh, film told in the language of the forties that uses uh, a lot of the stuff around Kane to make its point. But that's, that is entirely to the side of what the movie is actually about. That is my, that's my point of view in a nutshell. And it's a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeously executed movie, fantastically well executed movie. But the, what it's saying is, is something timeless as opposed to nostalgic. Yeah, there's, I don't know. There's, there's, there's a little bit of something in it that was, there is, there is definitely some, you cannot deny that there's nostalgia in this. There's a love, there's a love for old film for sure. But that's different no, than well, the stuff we've discussed. No, there's yeah. a love. Look, there's process, a love for yeah. the old process, and there's yeah. a love for the. Look, it also examines like the heads of the studio too, mm-hmm. and how they ran everything, and how right. everybody believed. Oh my god, them. so detestable. And, yeah, but the thing is, it's like, it's also the manipulation of the actors for the political campaigns. Oh yes, there's a, and yes. it's how much it really. It's I was always like this guy, obviously was very unhappy with himself in some way. And it's like, what I wanted to see was uh, when she, for me, I think would have broken a little bit more open for empathy for this character, for him was the um, somehow more involved because he saved that village. Yeah, and the little touch like that. With the yeah, girl, right. If they'd only engaged a little more with a girl whose husband was an RAF fighter, something to give a little bit more um, empathy, because everything was a one-liner, you know, a zinger, a zinger. I, I should have been. I completely and, agree with you. And I and I felt like I wanted a little bit of. And it, the crazy thing is, is that they had it. Like the the woman washing dishes and or dumping the the booze out and putting the real stuff in, you know, the second all out. It's like mm-hmm. there was a moment where he saved a village. Like that yeah. right there gave so it, much of right. – I know, but I wanted just a little bit more of – because he just was on the defensive, so insecure yeah. well, and defensive. Well, that's his character. Yes. His character. I know. Yes. But the yes. point yes. is – His character is one zinger, 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 zinger. I know, but at the yes. end, it's like – he was ca- he was a man capable of a lot more, and that's yes, exactly. But the thing is, but the thing is, but if you compare that to Ed Wood, even at the end of Ed Wood, you saw you know um, uh, what's his name Lugosi the mm-hmm. photo, the same type of photo at the end. Right. It's just like because Ed but Wood, they, is a- but they exposed him more through caricature than uh, than than they did with. Old and Ed I just Wood. I liked this movie a lot, and I thought the set design was gorgeous. Right. I just and I I just felt like there were so many zingers, um, and Mank the setups. <laughs> yes, there, it was like it was a zinger, 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 the and then a cliche kind of looking at the guys and giving them a buck. And there was like when he came into the train station in Burbank or whatever. Mm-hmm. That was that was just it didn't really it, it was almost like a play like a, you know Annie get your gun you know it was like or mm-hmm. meet me in St Louis it was like right. that was not what I 
it was like trying to interpret. But I what think that that's the was. point, right? The point yeah, was that was, he was doing it. it but he was doing it the, I know, the way that it would you, have been shot in the If you go to 40s. this film, I know, but if, but the acting and the way he set it up, if you enjoy or looking as an artist and want to respect, I felt there was opportunity to give him a little more depth. I don't so think I don't if, think that's the style of this film. I, if I may, I know if, it's not the style. Wait, wait, but if, I'm asking. I want to ask a question. What if uh, that everything you're saying is exactly what Fincher wants you to feel? Okay, but that's 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 okay. Then that's how he wants you to feel. But I think if you know, if you love film and and the significance of that man, and actually it's his father's script, right? Um, then I think there was an opportunity to to open up just a little bit more of his character because then the fall when he's escorted out you feel it more. I think here's, because here's, when he left when he left when he left Sam Simeon and they said oh he'll take you back it's almost like you felt he really wasn't the monkey you know, doing that. I felt but if you was, had a little felt, more empathy for him, the monkey scene was very interesting. When he gives him the parable of the monkey, the monkey is actually it's a not him. No, it's not him. <laughs> yeah, I like where you're going, Chris. <laughs> it's not him. He's actually, you think he's talking about him being the monkey. He's talking about mayor being the monkey, not him. Ma it's mayor. It's well, it's, it's it is mayor. him. It's mayor, right? It's, uh, it is him, it's the actor. It is him. It's the concept of the monkey in relation to the organ grinder. That is the, the that is the case for every single person in the film. Everyone. I realize that. But what right. I'm trying to say, guys, is that when you're trying to show the depths of this character and really how he didn't work, worked a little bit and never worked again. And right. at the end, they emphasize the fact that he didn't really work. Right. Right. They emphasize that he was basically a man at war with himself mm -hmm. by opening up a little more empathy for him and showing that side, like he saved the village in a way, not to show him in the village. And the sh I really didn't get the sense when he was escorted out that here's the deal guys, when he was escorted out of San Simeon, which really happened, uh -huh. he would never was invited back like Catherine Hepburn. You're never invited back. Right. That is why he sat. That's why it's a, that is why it's a flashback because that is why he right. made Kane, or it's called American, heavy-handed towards Hearst, and that's how Orson had to reel it back. But so this is the it, thing. So but the thing is, you didn't get a sense. <laughs> you got a sense that he was going to come back, right? And there so, was like, there wasn't a lot of. It was I think I, I I here's like when he, when he is kicked out, right? My sense was not, um, oh, one of like whether or not he's going to come back. It didn't matter to me whether he came back. It didn't matter matter to me what point he was making about Hearst. Like yeah. when when he got kicked out, he was realizing that the villain of the movie was him. Like I'm no, the, right. I'm the bad guy. I'm like no, it's he not, is. Like, he's, a, he's he's a horrible guy in some ways. So well, in the end, don't is, show that title card at the end with him saying he only won this, and and you yeah. try to evoke empathy and sympathy for him at the end. By so giving him that card at the end, the, there's no the entire, need for if that. I were, if I were to sum up what happens in the movie, like this movie is about a a guy who is very very smart, right? Extremely clever, super funny, and more than happy to sit on the sidelines and loft softball self satisfying glib bullshit jokes about right. the world around him that is letting him down constantly with no repercussions. While, because, with no repercussions because he because he's in the sidelines. 
right? And then right. he wants to put on a show about what a nice guy he is towards all to you know towards the oh the homeless guy or whatever it is. And he like he actually clearly feels some of this as a reality, but he lets his ego play to himself by by distancing himself with jokes, right? And so like it's he thinks about he's, he thinks he's the good guy of the movie until almost the end of the movie. Like no, he's writing he, a, the, he's actually, writing a, the scene where he realizes he's not the good guy is when he realized when she said he has a whole box of bullets. Oh yeah. Like, Oh, that's when he, that's what I'll agree with you that that's the first big turn where he's like, wait, what the fuck? Am, I, I missed I, I'm missing the whole thing. I like, yeah. Oh yeah. Like I am missing it's a Chinatown. Am, right. And from this? that point on the movie is like, he is, a, he is so shook by that, that, he, his whole character starts to take a different turn because the movie up until that point is like, let's discover how Hearst is a bad guy. And it's all because Marion Davies let me down because I thought I could have faith in her. And then she let me down because she's just as shallow as the rest of them. Right. And then the movie goes, Oh wait, none of that's true. I'm, I'm the dick. <laughs> like I'm the one who shot myself in the foot. And the thing is like, but you also knew that when he's lying in bed and she's like, my husband's, you know, whatever got shot down or whatever his boat was sunk. Sure. And right. he's like, I opened my mouth too soon. Right. It's like, it's like he doesn't, the thing is he's, he's on the defense, intelligent guy on the defense the whole time. Right. 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 But to see a little crack in the seam makes you realize more about that personal artist. Oh, without and doubt. He, like, and he I, built I, it I up so much. Him. And, and I just felt like, uh, with all that kind of structured wall around seeing some sort of crack or imperfection. I, I felt like it was, it was great to know that like knowing the thing about his backstory, you know, like gave me enough to believe that he was a good person, but where I was really relating to him, like this movie, like this fits into Fincher's filmography for me, like 100% because he doesn't make movies about nice guys. He makes movies about douchebags. Right. Like Fincher makes movies about the guy who created Facebook or right? gender. Yeah. Like really he, the relationship of man and women too. Well, like, and well, like, women. Again, that's a great pick because like, I just want or just rewatched girlfriend, a uh, girlfriend, girl, gone girl. And gone girl. the, the villain of gone girl, Ben, Ben Affleck's villain that he is against who's fucking over his whole life is Ben Affleck. Like he is the villain of the piece. She's, she's a force to be reckoned with, but the person who is fucking up his life the most is Ben Affleck. And Ben Affleck cannot see this. He just totally doesn't understand it. He's a dumbass. You know, and even at the end of the movie, he basically pins himself in a bear trap and he's like, how did I get in this bear trap? You know? And then so you have that, you have the he's same the thing. He's the last to know. He's the last to know. That's what Chinatown is. Right. And then you yes. say you have the same thing in social network where like the whole movie tells you up front what's happening in social network where the, when his girlfriend says like, you know, listen, you're going to think that people, the girls don't like you because you're a nerd. It's because you're an asshole. And then the movie makes a giant argument that you are an asshole. And the movie is not making the argument. You are an asshole to that guy. It's making the argument. You are an asshole to the audience. Like that's, and he, like he, he specializes in making movies where the audience is asked to examine themselves for identifying right. with someone who is a total prick, like Fight Club. Like Zodiac, like, too. <laughs> like Zodiac. Exactly. Yeah. Like Zodiac Fight Club. and Fight Club are my favorite of his. Oh, it's it. Zodiac, they're masterpieces. And like in Fight Club, yeah, they're he, masterpieces. He, like people hate Fight Club because they're like, it makes you agree with Brad Pitt. And I'm like, of course it does. That's why it tells you, that's why when it says Brad Pitt's a Nazi at the end, it's powerful because it seduced you. 
it seduced you into Brad Pitt's belief system. That's why right. that's why it's a powerful statement. It explains you're not just, why Nazis existed in the first exactly. place. Exactly. Like you may think you're uh, some super smart guy that would never fall for such a no, such a trick, and then I you know. do. Right. And 70 so, million Americans. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And they're not all idiots. And this is the, the story of Mank is this guy that does not know that he is part, that he is his own problem literally until the, the moment he hands over, like the moment he is about to fucking hand over the script when he says, wait, 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 I believe in things. All that shit that I was saying, I actually meant yep. it. The thing is though, for me too, it's like, he didn't want to be part. He just, it's like a, the system, right? Mm -hmm. He didn't integrate into the system. He didn't want to integrate into the system. But he wanted to but be he still part wanted of the system a, 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 anyway. He still wanted a, a, a chair at the table, exactly. at the dining table with exactly. Hearst. Exactly. And that, that's the thing. It's like you either go with it, like Thalberg says, or you don't. Yeah. But at the end, um, you don't have to go with the system. You exactly, don't. Dude. I and, totally and that's agree. fine. But I, I don't um, – like he stands up against Wells and that's the one last, the one last thing he does in the movie that saves him as a character is saying, I, I want credit. I want, I'm, I believe in this is what he's saying with that. Like, yeah. I, I just I did I a thing like that I believe in. My thing was, is that if you open the door emotionally to him, just a touch when he was lying in bed and he wakes up somewhere, right. if you open that up a little bit more, then you would realize the system that he hates. You can see it a little bit better because you're more on his side. You're like, wait a minute. Why? Oh, I was totally like, that's, that, I guess that's my problem. It's like, I was completely on his side because I thought he was funny as hell. And then know, only later in the movie, they go, wait a minute. He's a secure guy. And it's like, I understand what he's doing. But right. I also understood there were so many villains out there. It's like Louis B. Mayer, Falberg, and Hurst, oh, yeah. and this thing. And there were so many people thick in the jungle right. of this world that if you just, saw a little bit more and that's why they put the thing about the village thing with her right. but the point is if he was present even when she said that to him to the other girl right um then yeah, but he could have he could have put a zinger but at least you he knows that he, well, he tries to downplay it a good person once he, once yeah he but they it, don't right. allow that so. but instead they have a scene that's an aside for the audience alone that this is happening right i because, know but if right. he if he recognized that he could have said a zinger but at least he knows deep inside he's a good person yeah or i mean like there's, I, there's I a heart to him right and i think that, that, that self-reflection right. i wish i was there sure and i hear i hear what you're saying i totally hear what you're saying but i think like like then like, you can see the villains clear on right. his, uh, and you'd be like man yeah i understand well, that like it's like the two things that i love like, separate the villains yeah, I hear you. I totally hear what you're saying. So, like the like the things that I that I loved comparing in the later watches on this thing were the two major scenes, uh, the dinner scenes essentially at Hearst's house, like the way that it's shot, like when he is like drunk and telling the story of that Hearst really as Coyote. Oh yeah, it's a, this amazing scene that is so embarrassing. And he threw up on the table, and somebody made a comment like, "Oh my god, that's so disgusting." He's like, "Well." The fish came with wine, so it's yeah, fine. <laughs> so it's the fish came with wine. It's okay. Yeah, like, I threw and, up fish and wine, so yeah, it's fine. It's all right. At least there's <laughs> wine with the fish. Exactly. And like that scene is what was brilliant about that scene is that he is hammered beyond belief. And as he's telling the story, it's like it gives you enough time to realize that he does not realize he's talking about himself. Like, no, like yeah, he's like he he, he thinks he's talking about Hearst. 
Hearst, right, right? But he's not. But he's actually talking about himself. And that's and why that's why Hearst lets him keep going. Exactly. Hearst lets him Hearst, Hearst is the only one. Everyone else is like, this is horrible. This is awkward. I feel horrible. No, let him roll. Leaving. Hearst is like, oh, I just want to – let's exactly. see how far yes, this but, goes. But what I was trying to say earlier is that Hearst never invited him back. And that's a, that was a big thing. Uh, oh, sure. Catherine Herpin got the same thing. She's like, why do I want to go to Hearst Castle? I don't camp. And right. once, and she rejected the invitation and she was never asked. And it was, <laughs> a, big, it. Right. And it was a big regret for her. She said, right. I should have just kept my mouth shut. Right. The point is that walking into the door, regardless of the organ grinder bullshit, that is why he sat down and wrote Kane and did because it. Because he was pissed. And that's right. And <laughs> that is why Wells got him. Right. Like the thing is, that's the difference is like he, like the way the movie is intercut and the way the movie intercuts its story, it sort of puts you on, at least it put me on the side of, uh, Mankiewicz against all these douchebags that he's dealing with because like everyone's shown it, like, especially like Arliss Howard is LD mayor. Like he's, he, like he's a buffoon, like he's a total fucking ass the whole time. And like, yeah. it's like, it's just, like, it's just ridiculous. And, and like, you can in, suck up <laughs> and you can savor his ridiculousness. Right. And then they have the, right. the, the wonderful, so it's not a dinner scene, but the sort of the parlor scene where, uh, Manx there when sees Mary and Davies really interact for the first time. And it's all this beautifully shot crosstalk between all the party members around the fire with Hearst there. Oh my God, that scene is awesome. It's uh, it's luxuriously incredible. Like the way it's staged. And, and, and it's, the, the, uh, the crosstalk is so, it's the crosstalk is so theatrical. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, well, it's, that's Kane. That's yeah, yeah, exactly. Newspaper Absolutely. Scenes, like, that's exactly right. And, yeah, it's the right. whole thing. And the same, the same, the same thing when you're walking around the in the lights, garden and then you're just like, oh, nerds. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's incredible. Stage, but the like the 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 direction and the staging of that sequence is phenomenal. And uh and and Mank is in total sort of thematic control of what's happening and you get this feeling of like a a, a a connection between him and her and like there's this strange glancing angle connection between him and Hearst like there's like a tete-a-tete going on that Hearst kind of enjoys right. and all this kind of stuff and it sets you up to think ah oh, now that's the real battle right you know like hey like like Mank is the smart one and and she understands him and here's the devil sitting in front of his burning fireplace and that's the showdown and then you yeah, get no. to the then you get to the end and you have basically the same sort of setup for a scene only it's a sloppy fucking mess, and Mank is an idiot. Right. <laughs> I was like, Mwah! "That's incredible! That's incredible!" Yeah. Like the movie, the movie like slaps Mank in the face as hard as it can. Well, the, like, I think the, also the, the fuck other up, thing, you idiot. <laughs> the other thing is that the other, like I think even thematically speaking, those first meetings, mm -hmm. and especially his conversation with her, were such goofy cliches that even oh, yeah. that was idealized right yeah. like you know yeah. the stupid puns with the monkeys and the oh giraffes. yeah and, and still wonderfully written and tightly directed like absolutely. a really entertaining absolutely scene. Right. but the reason that it there is like that is the idealized life that he thought he had yes. and then when yes. it comes back and he's drunk and embarrassing and throwing Ugh. up on the table it's that's the reality right yeah. and that's really what was there in front of by the way, I gotta tell you that was weird because it's funny because he he said I had to take a cab from Mora Bay, right? Mm -hmm. And because uh, he got on the, the wrong train and he got from from Glendale to Mora Bay and got to get a cab. So we went to Mora Bay last uh, year, and uh, <laughs> we drove up the coast to go see uh, the elephant seals. And when we did that, we drove by 
what now we realized or now we realized after it was Hearst Castle <laughs> because, you know, you see wildlife, you know, on the side, you know, like, you know, uh, uh, cows and horses, whatever. But suddenly there was a whole bunch of zebras. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Have you like, been up there? Have you gone to the tours? No, I haven't done the tours or anything like that. But, I, did but the, I did it three times over my life, the yeah. tours. I did one, two, and I think five, uh, six or five. I, I am not really into seeing the houses of the ultra rich from, you know, like I, there, there was the, I went, I did a tour of the Vanderbilt house and that was just like, I just didn't. They're built more. Yeah. And then I did. Yeah, but it's I, not an ultra. I, I used to hang it's, out at the Rockefeller house too. Yeah, so. but it's not. It's not. It's a house of the ultra rich. I mean, it's really. It's more about a mindset, and and you know, he literally, basically, it's an American story too, because he basically built that off of going to Europe in the twenties and buying up all the estates after the First World War, and he right. put it all in Brooklyn in a warehouse in Brooklyn. By the way, that warehouse scene, that is like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Which one? In Kane. In Kane. Yeah. You know that I was, took a picture of it because I was like, I could think of the art director and he goes, okay, we got a bunch of boxes. We need more. Let's get as many lamps as possible and put them on top of these crates. Like how yeah. many lamps? Like re, uh, it was like, Resilience. it seemed odd. <laughs> yeah. And textually it worked. But when you look at it, it's like, why is there... But Hearst would do that. Hearst bought, would go and buy an estate or a, um, um, a chateau and he would strip the wall paneling off and then have it all created and itemized and shipped to, he owned warehouses in, in um, Red Hook, Brooklyn, and they would all be sent to Red Hook, Brooklyn. So he would literally just strip everything off. And the fireplaces, he'd take all the stone or he'd buy a church and he uh, in France and he would take all the stones. And in fact, he used that to build San Simeon. That's why there's right. so many different styles. But he had bought a church once, took it all apart, and he realized he had, they realized he had way too much stone. So there's a place called the Madonna Inn, which I've stayed at. Oh, yeah, the Madonna Inn. Yeah. That was it's, built. It's, it's in, it's in, uh, it's in uh, not Pismo Beach. Uh, 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 right by uh, San Luis San Luis Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It basically is from a French church that was bombed in World War I that he bought and he wanted the stones. And they, he had too many of the stones. So the family bought it from him and they oh. built the hotel out of that. So that's Same. literally like 16th century stone <laughs> right. from a church. And, but it was just an American. He just so bought it. So it's left, left over antiques from the It was left castle. over. Yeah. That was shipped over. So here's, really? here's, here's, here's ironic or coincidental. Dominique de Manil, who I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. she had a bunch of frescoes from a Byzantine church. <laughs> right mm -hmm. that were like literally from the walls of the church right and so she had saved the frescoes i don't know if the church got bombed or what happened but she saved all these frescoes and so she had a structure built which could which was basically like a of the church and that contained it and then had these frescoes kind of floating in the air representing where the church would have been it's kind of yeah. like Imagine like if you had a, a thin sheet of uh, of paint and you just like, okay, now the rest of it is, is bombed, but we kept the paint <laughs> and the same <laughs> right, structure right, right. of the house. I think they right. would take, what they would do is put rabbit skin glue on canvas, Chris, yeah, and put the canvas on the wall and paint the rabbit skin glue on that in coats and then a plaster on top of that. And then when you peel that canvas back, it takes off the fresco. 
Yeah, I don't know, but it was this. No, that's how they do it. That's, that's how they would do it. Yeah, it's crazy. But he did that. He basically bought everything, and and yep. it, he didn't he didn't have a particular style, but it definitely that whole kind of thing there is that's an American story, uh, you know, since Simeon. It's not really like the, it. The, it's so mismoshed it, together. It's right. unbelievable in terms of style, but there's something very strange about it like Kane, you know exactly and exactly you can say that just, about all the, everything we're talking about today yeah it's yeah. like represented and it's really strange but it's a really the pool there is the most beautiful and this view and like these little bungalows that Cary Grant used to use they're pretty cool if you right. think about oh, the 20s and 30s it was pretty wild but he was right. way Keep older talking. than I'm just her. gonna turn on some lights and get a drink up yeah, he was way yeah, older than Marion Davies mm-hmm and when he died in 52, Joe Kennedy became her uh, guardian. Oh, wow. Wow. So the senior Joe Kennedy took care of her. That's why she was at the JFK's inaugural party uh, and everything. Right, right, right. He right. basically took care of her financially until her death in the mid-60s. Yeah, that's crazy. And yeah. um, basically because, you know, Hearst and Joe uh, were involved uh, – Pretty much, I think Hearst helped Joe with the the, the rum running in the twenties. Right. And um, but yeah, it was a very complex thing. His father, uh, senior George, became a senator. And I always wonder why are people not making a story about that about him as a child? Because his father, William Randolph Hearst's father, he was an only child from San Francisco. His father was a miner, mm-hmm. and what he would do. Uh, in the late 19th century, if I'm boring, you can stop me. But it, he, no, go. No, he he would go, and if if you were a mining company in Nevada, all right, Dan, mm-hmm. and you were digging for gold, right, you would dig a huge mine, right, clear everything out, right, and mm-hmm. dig the mine, right. But you don't find gold. He would come along with Wells Fargo, would loan him the money. He would go and he'd say, "I'll buy your mine." They already dug the holes. Right, and so right, right. they would That's take out the silver anymore. and tin, and by the end, literally at three, four hundred thousand acres in Monterey, huge mines in um, San Francisco, in Nevada. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was like millions upon millions of dollars, and this is the 1880s. Right, but he was a miner, so he had the long beard with the spittoon stain. Oh, I love so it. So then That's they said, we have to legitimize you, so run for Senate. And he became a senator, and no one in Washington liked him. Mm-hmm. So that's why when he went to Harvard, he basically bought his way in. He was a total like Donald Trump, a spoiled kid showing up with a valet and right. like, all this luggage. And he basically uh, was a little brat. Mm-hmm. And then when he bought Which the one are we talking about? Hearst. Okay. And his relationship with his father. I always felt, you know, reading the biographies of Hearst and his. Uh, the relationship with his father would make a great film because he really, his father was a totally different type of person. He wasn't this entitled wealthy guy. He literally was a miner and yep. uh, who struck big, but really smart play buying, you know, basically mines that they already dug out. And How did you feel it, about uh, the elder Hearst portrayal in Deadwood? I really like that. I had the actor who played him. Um, that is, you mean William Randolph or yeah, George? Yeah. yeah, yeah. His father. Yeah. Yeah. The William Randolph. Yeah. It's, it's fine. I mean, I've it's never okay. seen, yeah, I've never seen a, a Hearst portrayal. Um, this one was good, but mm-hmm. Hearst was much more portly 
as 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 uh, what's his name Orson was a youthful boy at that time, right. and that's the other thing that made people like this guy looks like a kid. Right, he's he looks kid. like he's, it was a, totally he's a kid, kid. and that's the whole dynamic too. It's like why am I listening to a child? Right, that's what's right? annoying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, but, uh, like, the, but the guy that was cast, he was much more Spanish looking. With no, you know, like he just looked more rugged, strong. Right. Uh, but uh, there was an air in, in, in Mank. Yeah. He he he. Uh, who who he, no, the, uh, the guy, the guy was cast for Orson Welles. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because Orson Welles, if you look at this book and you look at the young pictures of him, he was a boy. And now oh, I know, but he sure. was, he was, he, he was the age that he was supposed to be when he first walked into the newspaper. That's, that was his actual age. Yeah. That was, and he only played that role for about five minutes. Yeah. But yeah, like right. the, uh, we, no, no, no. I'm talking about in Mank. Yeah. We, I know, the, the, I know, the, I know. But that's what I'm saying. I'm saying the actor who played, uh, 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 child. Ch no, the actor who played, uh, Orson Welles in Mank was too old. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah that's I what agree. I'm saying. Yeah. Yes, That's what I'm saying. because course, if you look at if you look like at twenty years, too, if you look so at Citizen okay. Kane, <laughs> if you look at Citizen Kane, Citizen right. Kane, uh, uh, when he was walked into the newspaper, that is the appropriate age of what uh, 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 Orson Welles would have been at that time. You That's right. Saying? But my my thing was like in Mank, and we're talking about Mank. Yes, is that. I felt the casting for Orson was wrong in that if he had just cast him as just a little boy or more boyish looking that he was, yeah. then you he, could have sensed his immaturity a little more. You, I, would, well, I would say that. that but would hold, work on, hold on. Hold on. Let me finish. Let me finish. He, uh, just quickly. Let, let, let Eric finish. Yep. <laughs> just, just quickly. You would have seen, it would have isolated more, make more as a character because all the people that are my age and a little below, I don't get along with and I'm at war with. And then I got a little kid basically who I have Boston to listen around. to. Right. Yeah. yeah. But it wasn't, there wasn't that separation which isolated Mank more, you know? Well, the, right. the, the thing that I would throw into that is that uh, I think that having, like, if you have the, the Orson character cast at the appropriate age, then you definitely can't have Gary Oldman because Gary Oldman is literally 25 years old, too old to play Mank. Like he is, Mank should be forty three, and Gelwick Arrow yeah, is Manc, close to seventy. If 70. you look at the photo of Mank, <laughs> I well, no, but if you looked at the photo of Mank as the real person at the end of Mank, he wasn't far off. He, when you're an alcoholic, your skin is physically beat up. yes, but I mean, like Gar Gary Oldman is is a is an absolute presence, right? And so, like, I think that oh, it would yeah. be tough to get like you can't just cast someone who is young as Orson Welles and have him have the impact no. of being Orson Welles because Orson no, Welles no, no. got the got as far is... as he did because Orson Welles, though he looked like a little boy, was more commanding than a thirty year old man. I know, like, but that's why you, it got done. the problem was is that when you have a commanding person who has a boyish face. Mm -hmm. There's that contradiction, and when it just would have helped, I believe. Yeah, yeah, you know, I guess so. Understand? I don't know, I don't know very, but I don't know who just that is. not somebody who looked like a <laughs> rugged yeah, sure. guy about to, you know, work for Franco in the Spanish War. You know, <laughs> right, it's right, like right, he, right, he just you. looked like he was he was about to grab a rifle with Robert Capa and go shoot, you know, against Franco files. So it's like there was something that was off-putting, yeah. and I just felt like casting that. I would have, have a little bit of the look of uh, I don't know as a drink Dos Equis guy. <laughs> well, oh, he right. just yeah, yeah. he just it just a boyish face would have been like Jesus. You got a kid telling you what to do and bossing yeah, yeah, around, yeah. calling, and then oh, it, it uh, and, and a self and a self uh, you know a self righteous and self you know like I'm I'm the wonder kid. 
That's right. And yeah. I actually felt that scene where he said, I want writing credit. Maybe I misheard it, but from what the real thing was, is that he said, I want soul credit. Right. And he didn't say that. If he had said that, it would have been like, he's fighting for preservation. He's, you know what I mean? But in reality, I thought that would have been a better line to say. He doesn't say, right. He said, yeah, he said, I want credit. Yes. Yeah. Which now, that that did not imply that he. Yeah. But soul credit is saying, fuck you. Yeah, and I don't. I think that's the thing. It's like the movie is telling a different story, so I don't. I know think that's it the is, right but I just what I'm trying to say is to make it a story that you kind of like. I think that, I think uh, I agree with the story with that you Meg, want that you want to hear there, but I think it's a different story that the movie is actually telling. I know, so but it's, it's like, not that far off. What I'm saying is, if you allow these little little things, it actually would have made you kind of. Would yeah, have I mean, given like, a little bit of a higher on the chart for right. like for the for the character. Like I, hear, a little I, bit I of totally hear where you're coming from because he does that. Look the, in Fight Club, he puts in meatloaf, right? Yeah, without a doubt, he puts no, in I, a I totally soft guy, and and he puts in people sure. with uh, to allow a little of that op- to open up. And yeah, and no, it's a, can, it's a good point. I get where you're coming from. Like I, I think that the like the uh, the youthful because like if you put Orson like the thing is that like the way that I read the movie was disconnected from the reality I know about the making of Kane. So like I have a different my the reason why my view is different is that like essentially I'm watching this as if it's fictional. You know. And so it is like fictional. it is it's fictional. And so the idea of having Orson be young, if I think about it that way, I'm like then that to me that would fight with the relationship he has with Davies who is young. And like because like the reason why it's a tragedy with Davies is because he sees himself in Davies. It's not that he's physically attracted to her it's that no, he is mentally but... attracted to her and that that he sees there here is a young person like when i was young when i was very young and idealistic and agrees with me and she's just as sharp and smart as i am and that connection that he makes with her isn't a sexual connection the connection he makes with her is a 100 percent you're of my tribe we can sit on the sidelines together and hurl these fastballs right and then he's and then, jealous and of her then, he's jealous well, of her he, yeah, he, no look, he, he is, he he is, he is absolutely je- he is absolutely jealous for her relationship with hearst right right um but the reason why he like when he goes on that moonlight walk with her like that's about how much they agree with each other and how much they are the same. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Well, that's exactly. And she it sets like, it up for like, oh my gosh, we are the same. We and are the here same. You are and then in the first palace, time you see her, and I have to go home. <laughs> right, to and my he's attracted life. to her when she's on a when she's on the Joan of Arc pyre. Right, like that's right. exactly who he wants to be seen as. He wants to be seen as this like, oh well, poor, beautiful, smart genius mank never got you know he, like he wants to be the guy that was remembered for almost being great you right. know who's that because it's, it's mank. who's that a writer yeah. okay a writer <laughs> exactly and so like everything he relates to in marion davies uh is this youthful spark this incredibly sharp wit and the fact yeah. that she uh uh gives it away she's like i already made my exit right the fact that she gives it away like he doesn't even think he's so pissed off he just leaves her in the fucking car He's just like fuck you. I, I, no, I, he I hate. Laughs. Like yeah, no, because he thinks it's ridiculous now. His life is now ridiculous. Like she's made the same shitty choices that he has, and she is lost also. And but he's still blaming her. Like he's still blaming. At that point, he's still blaming externally. And then she becomes the target of his ire in that portion portion of the film. Like he is digging down through all the layers of blame until he finally gets to himself. 
And it, and like if you like if you look at it that way, just building it as a like as a as a fictional piece, like he's up against himself in the end. Like it isn't up against Orson Welles. It isn't up against anything. Of course, else. Like, that's he's what up the whole movie's himself. about. Yeah, right. but and, I just I feel like there's also he. It's a reflection upon his life, and I sure. feel like that's right. And if it's a reflection upon his life, you've got somebody super young telling you what to do. That's the next generation. I got the current generation. Yeah, he's bitter. That about makes it. you yeah, focus sure. on your life. And yep. it's like, what the fuck am I doing? Right. I got this little shit telling me what to do just right. because, and they even refer to it where he says, oh, he did a voodoo, uh, you know, a voodoo Shakespeare. Yeah. Right? One of his first lines is when he goes like, and, uh, Postman <laughs> says voodoo Shakespeare. Yeah. And it, like one of, one of Max's first lines is like, you know, uh, <laughs> then he did the, you know, then, uh, end of scene. And then he turned 24, you know, and like, he's just like, yes, that's You're right. fucking kidding me. So yeah. that whole emphasis on the number 24, his youth, right, by making right. him a rugged rebel looking guy, it's like, right. no, make him a boy. And no, I, I, hear you. Listen, I, I totally I, hear you on that. Yeah. Totally and you yeah. would have been like, you yeah. felt more, him more compressed. Like, okay. Jesus, the, I can't get a break. The, the, what's, what's I get it. Okay. Okay. Quickly. No, go ahead. Tell me. No, you, no, I was going to get a wine, but I want to hear what you say. Okay, the the thing that I think about Wells, specifically his character in the Mank film, right? And I think it was very interesting, is he, I felt that Fincher really tried to reference in very subtle ways, sometimes not so subtle, sometimes pretty subtle way, different parts of the narrative that are going on. And the character, all these characters mirror each other in the in the two films, right? And specifically, Wells was a very... Um, uh, was the same as the reporter in Citizen Kane. Oh, right? Yeah, right? The yeah, reporter, right, the right. reporter, you never actually see his face, yeah, right? He's, he is a proxy for the audience. You're, right. you're learning, you're learning yeah. about what's going on through him. And I felt that Wells was that person in Mank. Yeah. So okay. he wasn't necessarily actually like, I was like, and I, I, I totally hear what you're saying. Like, no, he was. The who cares? He was who cares working, about? Though. I mean, like, he doesn't actually have an important role at all. Yeah, in he does. Mix. He's the reason he's, he's working because he didn't work for. Well, meaning, for meaning he's not. He's years. not. He's not. It's not important how deep Wells' character the, is in this film. Yeah, no, his no, character, but, right. but but the symbolism of, of of him is is that he basically what I was saying, and I'll say it again, is just the having more youthful character will show he, uh, really what he's up against. An yeah, older I totally generation. Yeah, I totally agree. Now I totally the agree. thing about the thing about it's funny is Mank's life is what orson's life eventually became mm, sure yeah, yeah I mean, all these guys basic, follow the same yeah, path the same you know? path and then and then in the end in the ending argument with orson like that's like this is the thing for everyone who sort of is getting mad about how it represents uh wells and you know how wells you know like hog credit what all this stuff like for for I, I understand people getting mad in that like yeah this is the way that it went down but like the when he says to orson you know just like you know, you think right now you're the hot shit, but they're going to come after you too. Like it's going to happen to you, and like that is that that's just showing Mank's final realization of what happened in his own life. You know, like everyone around him in this movie is uh, going through a version or a section of his life for him. You're seeing flashbacks of what inspired Citizen Kane, the screenplay, but what you're actually seeing is fractional representations of Mank himself in the people he knew, you know, and the final one is Wells. Who's like this incredibly talented, uh, energetic young man. And, uh, and he's saying it's it, that like, you think you're on top of the world, man, and you're not, 
like it's gone. It's just gone before right. it's gone before you even know it. You know, but and, also the other thing, especially about uh, Wells's character, is that while everyone else was like nervous about it being made and about writing the thing, like you have mm-hmm. ninety days, you know, everyone is freaking out about you know his drinking, whatever. Wells is like, whatever, man. You're gonna do it. Like he knew. He like somehow. Yeah. Like he, you know, what I mean, it, Wells is like, part of his spirit, right? Wells is part of Manx's energy. Well, Wells is the. I can give it do all this. you got. Hey, give exactly. it all you got. It's basically. What well, he said. also yeah. you touched on earlier. Wells was just. He was a salesman. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And the yeah. thing is, is once he got that draft, he rewrote it completely and then sent it back to him. He, I think, the pressure was that the the budget was like a million three, and RKO wasn't going to okay it. Because right. everything had to be under a million, right. if, and but even that is a lot. So right. he had to just give me the script. I'm going to cut it to shit. Just chop it down. Yeah, there's no chop time. it down, and right. we're going to make this. Yeah. And but that economy made that that kind of we got to get three hundred pages, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, which is <laughs> it, it was called American. Uh, subst- yeah, substantially. That's tw- more than twice as long as an average screenplay. Yeah, that's yeah, right. right. And yeah. so it basically we got to get this shootable. Right. And but that pressure to make it shootable. Uh, you can see it in the sets, like in the where the the fireplace in Kane, and then the big mm-hmm. staircase. It's all soundstage floor, just covered. Oh, with, with that, just say, it's, and it's, it's so totally beautiful. It's dance floor. It's totally yeah. dance floor. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's just like yeah, we just yeah. put this in a lot of shadows. Boom, yep. yeah, yeah. and and it work. works. It right. works. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. like, cause but that the... economy I saw in Mank as well, mm-hmm. particularly in the green screen shots of them at the fountain and in the animals. It was just like that's a smart filmmaking. Just you. Yeah, I mean, Fincher's certainly about that. look, and right. and black and white helps, of course. Right, but I think that, I think that Fincher is like very particular about. Like, I think that Fincher, if he wants a thing to look a certain way, it's going to look that way, and if he can't get it, he'll do he'll just shoot a different way, you know. And so, like, he's right. uh, so with this, I think he was just like that looks a little artificial, and that's all right. Like that plays to our strengths. Yeah, and, it plays you know? towards the audience, right? Yeah. There's a lot of there was a lot of that in, in, in Citizen Kane too. Right. Still right. beautiful, right? I mean, obviously yeah, very map painting, right? Yeah. It's, but it's still, it's, it's still awesome still, looking. Still awesome. But yeah, I like still, when you're saying, I showed Chris, my daughter like. The, oh, sorry. Oh no, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Uh, um, when they go in to see Susan and they go through the, if you the look glass. at that. They go through the the, the sign. And yeah. How the camera goes. If you go slowly, you can see it. The metal is split like this. Oh, like goes. Mm-hmm. No, it has. It's on hinges, so it just went like this when the camera came through. So you can actually see that. So if you go through, and I'm like, watch, you can see the whole thing yeah, is just right. connected like this. It's yeah, two separate right. pieces. Yeah, punk. And yeah, it, it's the like this, and the camera shot. goes through, and then they yeah. come back again. It's so good. But that it's kind so of like thinking so is good, just brother. like. It's genius. Yeah. It's, uh, that's a, that's a, like Hitchcock does the same kind of thing when you get to rope and stuff like that, where you have these pull away sets and things that snap in half and all that stuff. But that's all, that's all Toland and Wells doing that stuff early on. It's incredible. And, and the I best, think the also best, the, the fact the that best, they didn't have a lot of, they had to get, they don't have any on. money. They got to figure yeah. it out. That's the best um, part of high anxiety when the camera pulls out of the house and it make crashes and makes a giant hole in the side of the house. <laughs> so good. And they say, just keep shooting, just keep just shooting. Keep shooting. <laughs> But yeah, dude. I think, uh, Chris. I think you're right because the what, the way, interesting way to look at this, uh, the look at Mank, I think, is in terms of like how it's how it works, right? Is that mm. everybody in that movie is a toady, like is uh, is a sap for somebody else, someone right? else, yes. And the only Inclu- one, yeah, yeah, like yeah. The, the, the only one who's the only one who is not is the only one who is not is Wells, 
Wells it could be a is sap because it's survival, though. Right. Well, yeah. Like every like Davies is a toady. Uh, uh, LB uh, uh, Mayor is a toady. Oh, uh, Mayor is a total toady. Yeah, like every. <laughs> he's the most ironic of all the toadies. <laughs> oh yeah, and he's and he's out there talking about how he owns the whole thing and this is all my yeah. family yeah. and I control blah 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 blah. But right. he's just a fucking. He's a weasel. He's just a little right. weasel, you know. And so, like everybody has this uh, this groping relationship with someone above them, except for Orson Welles, like as a, as a figure, you know. It's just like the force right. of Orson Welles in this movie. And when, like, one of my favorite bits is when, um, you know, uh, he tells you know Hausman on the phone, like. Yeah, Wells says like, "Oh, you got to, you got to come down here right now. I need to see you right now." And put Mank on the phone. Oh, I was, I love that. It's like, and, yeah, I made something up so you can get out of your hair. Yeah, like Housen's a toady. Like everybody's a toady. Yes, like, I love that. Like and like the, the and like the only two forces in Mank's life that aren't are essentially Hurst and uh, and Wells. His wife. And, and yeah, and his wife. And, and that's a that's a great thing to put, put up because like she is not a power figure. Right. Mm. She is like, she is like the other, everyone else is a power figure, some form. Everyone else is essentially a projected form of Manx's own ego in the story, you know? Uh, but she is the one who actually cares and she keeps on saying it and they have a loving relationship, even though it's nice. weird. Right. Uh, it's a separate, it's a separate relationship, but she does deeply care for him. And she has a sort of a mirror in the woman who is literally caring for him. Um, right. and when that woman gets her husband back from the, from world war two, like mm -hmm. that's when, you know, cause what's the symbolically happening is like Mank's wife is getting Mank back, you know, like that's like, he turns the corner by standing up for himself. And then instantly the movie is over on this happy note. Like that's mm -hmm. all you needed to do. Like just be, just stand for what you believe in. Like you don't have to do anything else. You don't have to make a joke out of it. You don't have to blame anybody. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You simply need to stand for what you know is, is valuable. Right. And so when I thought, when I looked at this movie, I was like, this movie is this intensely political movie, like with literal political scenes all the time. Like the last half of the movie has to do with uh, the election or non-election of right. um, uh, Sinclair uh, Lewis. Right. And Sinclair Lewis is a writer just like Mank. Upton Sinclair. Upton Sinclair. I'm sorry, Upton Sinclair. In fact, they, they, made, they say it in the movie, like you know, everyone thinks he's Sinclair Lewis. Uh, the Upton Sinclair who wrote The Jungle and also wrote the book that, um, wrote the book Oil that um, uh, There Won't Be Blood was to, built The strange on. casting Oil for Upton great. Sinclair. Uh, did you notice who that was? That's Bill yes. Nye, the science guy. Bill Nye is a good book. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, and so like you have uh, like this very strong political force in the movie. Why in, do uh, they do Bill Nye? Because he's a, because he is a, I, I think because he is a uh, Bill Nye is a realist he he believes in in realism like in reality you know and like he is saying like this is the truth of something he's not up there he's not an actor he's not like no you know like selling something he is an actual like he's known for science and helping clarify things for real and he is playing right. Upton Sinclair right and who is the thing that. Uh, Upton Sinclair is the thing that Gary Oldman, I'm sorry, that Mank believes in. Like, here is the guy that I would have wanted to be is Upton Sinclair, right? He is a writer mm. who stands by his political views and and is taking it all the way 
uh, against the banks in doing so, right? Uh, but but Gary Old, but Mank is weak, and he and he doesn't allow himself to be that person. He'd rather stand by the sidelines. And so when I'm watching this movie, especially in the political year that we just passed through, right, and watching every every person I've seen on Facebook and every person I've seen on Twitter, like. Like you, like so, you, you you come up with this great fucking bon mot that you throw up on Twitter about how uh, terrible uh, and controlling the media is, and how awful uh, Trump is, and et cetera, et cetera. Right? You are Mac. Like you're you're a fucking toady making money for Twitter, and you're using that right. as your quote platform to talk about stuff. Like you're making money for what you're throwing you're throwing mud at. Like right. it's, it's ludicrous. Like you would rather sit on the sidelines and hurl really smart, self-satisfied remarks and do nothing than actually do something meaningful and stand up for yourself. Like that is what the movie is pointing at the audience. Like you're an artist. You your say, test is successful. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you, you are, you are mank wake up. And that's the, that's the call to arms of this movie. And I was, I thought it was an incredibly powerful thing to say when the movie starts with like Mank in the writer's room, you know, and they're just jerking off. Like they're just playing poker and fucking around. And like, they'll, they're like, they're just going to like, oh, well, it's time to go do a story conference with, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Famous producer. And, uh, right. like, oh, well, let's get serious. And we go into the story conference room and they just make up, make something up. Right. And, right. Uh, and then and they, they have the one guy who just happens to be like, tell him how it ends. Tell he's him like, how it ends. Just, what? <laughs> exactly. like he, he, he's never actually even written. But that's right. the same. Like, I felt the same thing, like from the player. Remember the player right. that had the same kind of thing. It's like, we're just, just going to make up that last oh, week again. Yeah. <laughs> Great movie. But that's the thing. Cause even the story that they tell in, um, the story they make up on the fly, right? Why was the secretary topless? I don't understand. Because that's what trash these guys. <laughs> guys are like these guys are like these guys are just like i don't know i mean i make enough money to have a fucking top it's like a is. trader's pit you know yeah. guys trading they play jokes they they yeah. gamble they do all sorts of stuff and they're just cocaine. drinking and smoking and go to and strip clubs so they get the, strip clubs, why go to the strip clubs so we can have her come in and exactly. find a girl that's a stripper that can be a stenographer that's right. probably how it started and we and we say all these lofty we say all these lofty things and then we live this fucking degenerate life uh that, that way we're we can paid be at live. the office more we don't have to go to the strip club exactly right <laughs> and like i can i don't have to lie to my wife i can be at work and see boobs you know like that's, that's the way right. it works and so like they they they, they get together in front of uh what's it in the producer uh or Thalberg, maybe? No, not Thalberg. It was uh, no, it the was, other guy, um... the other famous big producer there, not, and not Mayor, not Thalberg. But the uh, they they get together and they're like, okay, here it is, you know, like this is something special, and they start Frankensteining this movie together in this scene, right? Everyone's and full of shit. Everyone's totally full of shit, right? And the, here's the, like a sum up of the story that they pitch, right? They're like, okay, so there's this basically a fucking circus that comes to town it's that madness. promises everybody uh you know a good scary story and then all the hayseeds pay the money to see the the frankenstein they are frankensteining the story together right so the thing that they right. are saying they they're taking on the road is a movie <laughs> they're like so we we may we frankenstein this bullshit together and we go and show it to the hayseeds they pay us money for for the show and everybody's happy but every once in a while the 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 doctor is also basically a werewolf and he starts getting principles and he starts shouting and hollering and all of a sudden all hell breaks loose and that's when the hayseeds come and roll the wagon that's what happens in the movie you're about to watch 
Like that's what yeah. happens to Citizen Kane. That's what happens to Mank, and that's what happens to Orson Welles. Well, Citizen like, Kane starts off the whole movie starts off with like, here's what you're about to see, right? Because it's a whole right. newsreel saying like, here's what happened to, and that, I always thought that was kind of a brilliant way of because that news that newsreel thing tells the whole thing was. Yeah, and it's long. <laughs> yeah, it's like 20 well, it's minutes. It's called the March of Time. Yeah, yeah. March of Time. It's, exactly. Well, what's the one in Kane? It's uh, News on the March. News, news on the March. News on the March. March of Time. Warson Wells used, uh, did uh, his radio show. He wrote, did some of that. Yeah, he wrote copy for that stuff. Yeah. yeah. I told so, you guys so. a story about, I told you guys a story about uh, my mom, right? So she went to the attic and she, uh, she found some old uh, film cans. Mm hmm. And she wanted to like see what was on the film cans because she couldn't, you know, obviously couldn't, we didn't have a projector. And so if we found someone who said, okay, I can get these, uh, uh, you know, we got to transfer them to VHS or DVD or whatever. And so uh, this was I probably, this is before DVD. So this was definitely VHS. And so uh, she took it to a place and the guy says, I can't touch these. These are nitroglycerin <laughs> film, yeah. right? right? So, um, so no way. And so anyway, she told she got in touch with a friend of ours who was a documentary guy and he goes, I'll know someone who will do it, you know, you know, on the hush hush and basically transfer them to to tape. Uh and the he said, Okay, so two of the there were three cans and things like uh it says two of these were just basically like family footage, you know, of stuff, uh, you know, on vacation stuff. And he goes, This other one is very interesting. And it was, it was a snuff film from Mexico. <laughs> no, it was, it was BBC. It was BBC film, like the news on the March stuff, like that kind of stuff. Uh, and it was of uh, Winston Churchill and my that's great crazy. grandfather. <laughs> oh my God. That's awesome. That's, that's really cool. cool. Yeah. So it was all this, these, these things about my, my great grandfather, who was the American Legion in London before we went to war against the, the, the Germans. And basically it's about how, my great grandfather made a big effort to basically fight Kennedy to go to war against the Germans. Like he had a big, big, like Ambassador Kennedy, Ambassador Kennedy, right, right. Uh, and it was like it, it was anyway. So uh, it's an interesting thing. But yeah, those, those news on the Mars things were like there was you know, it's kind of crazy. Kane was nineteen forty one. I mean, there's yeah, camera moves in there that oh, are like insanity. we can't pull off today. You know well, it's I mean? like the the brilliance of the like you know the the newsreel stuff and in the there. ceiling. You still yeah. don't see ceilings like that. <laughs> exactly, it's gorgeous. That's some of my favorite stuff in Clay. It's like seeing well, that's the even first in, time, in really, media you shots. You saw it. Yeah, right. it's great. That, and know. they used the canvas muslin on the top. That yeah. was a big deal with Van Ness Polges. Um, that's pretty cool. It was cool stuff. That's like pretty amazing. I just uh, uh, like the the fact that he shot everything so low was very interesting too. That's beautiful. You know, like yeah. why 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 make that choice? Because he could. Because yeah, it didn't makes know everything larger doing. than life. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, like and also if he was in this so world of compressing, like how can I get so much in? Right. You know, right. Uh, he was like, "Fuck it, let's just cut a hole in the floor." And his DP's like, "All right, let's do it." Yeah, and, and yeah. the like interesting he's, thing and he's is with that these giant egos and giant characters, and it makes sense to make them huge. Bogdanovich says Wells's favorite scene is the one about the girl in the dress on the ferry. Oh yeah, and right. the scene that he hates the most is the um, one where they. But outside. he talks about it. It was never depicted. That's why they put it in. Mank. They actually shot it for Mank, <laughs> and it's his wife, which no, is no. amazing. <laughs> the scene that he hates the most out of Kane. Was um, Orson Welles hates about Kane, not Mank. Um, 
is the one where they're outside and the boy is like, you're going to be taking the train. You mean that's the one with all the lights, Charlie, right? And he, they're oh, about right, to yeah. hand him over to the guy. Yeah. Wells hates it because he said mist would be coming out of their mouth. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, he would have James so Cameron that shit for sure. Yeah. And yeah. so he, that's why on Ambersons, they shot all those scenes in, in an ice room. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah it's so a, he hated that scene. He told Bogdanovich because he lived with them. I hate that scene because you should see, you their would see breath. breath. Yeah, and right. I don't see their breath, and it just feels like a soundstage. But the the one where he's talking about the girl on the bridge, that's his favorite scene. The interesting thing – well, it's not interesting, but it's interesting to people like us. But the thing about uh, Bogdanovich lived with him, which I always thought would be a great show – in the seventies and Sybil Shepherd and him. And he had the guest house. Can you, can you imagine? It's just, that's a show, dude. I'd love to see so that. Good. And so I've always, ever since I heard it, I love Bogdanovich man and his stories. And he said that one time, uh, he was talking to Uma, Una, which was his wife mm -hmm. before he died. And she said that, um, the, the, like two nights before it was in the middle of the night and the TV's on and, Orson's not in bed and she goes down the hall to the TV room and Amberson's is playing on television and he's sitting in a chair with his hands in his face crying. Oh man. Can you imagine? With yeah. just the light of the TV. And yeah. that is, says everything. He just looks back at his life. This was probably like four years before, three years before he died. And he was just yeah, crying. I love like uh, Amberson's is even though it's busted, it's wonderful. It's a great, great film, even with all the studio mm. mangled shit in it, and the and yeah. the worst studio ending I've ever seen in my life. Like the, like I, that like that was just like the like, like, worst what they said the the studio film the studio reshot ending that is in Anderson's yeah. now is like one of the like even the first time I saw it before I knew that it was messed with I was like what the hell is going on here this is like suddenly the movie just like turns into like the worst fucking like soapy nonsense and like uh, has this awkward, happy ending that makes no sense. That's because of the studio. Right. Yeah. And I would kill to see the original Ambersons, you know, it's like Ambersons, like, 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 uh, I think that uh, Wells said, like the first half is pretty much all Wells, but the second half is like 100% studio, but you even see glimpses of the greatness that was shot for the second half. Like Agnes Moorhead is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. If just, you get this book, the back part is about making of Ambersons. Oh, Ambersons right is it. amazing. Ambersons is really great. And the thing is that like that, that's the thing is like as, as Wonderkind as Wells was making Citizen Kane, like Citizen Kane is, is like mid-level Wells for me. It's like, it's a pretty good movie. It's a really interesting, good movie, but it's not, it's well, not, it was very adventurous. No, it's, yeah. I, I know what you mean. Absolutely. It was very adventurous. And it's, and listen, it is a great film. Yeah, film that was great. Uh, that was, film School for 101. Film school, sure. for film school 101, just like, here are all the yeah. things because it's so obvious, right? It's not, it's not as subtle, right? It's pretty right. much like it's there, right? It's, it's very like, clear. Everything is evident. Yeah. And exactly. it's like, yeah. And it's like, here's things that have never been done before. Like, right. boom, you know? So before yeah. they did this, and then Will did this, and then they did something else after that. I, things would be fun to run a newspaper. Harumph. The, <laughs> the thing about Kane for me is it's that it's visually, uh, much more stronger than the storyline for me. Oh, it's like, beautiful. I, I'm in beautiful, love with the visuals right. and the art direction yeah. and the camera work, of yeah, first and foremost. Exactly. The interesting yeah, I to exactly do, same way. I, I, I just thought of it now. I would, I actually might just go and try to watch Kane with the sound off. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, I, yeah. I would definitely do that. Sure. To see if I follow the story. 
We'll play some David right. Bowie in the background. Absolutely, dude. Station, yeah, I mean, like, station. Yeah. <laughs> like, is that, I really, that's feel, actually a great pairing. Sure. Absolutely. Because like, it's like, I think that Kane is a, Kane is a, is a really wonderful movie and it's, and it's great that it feels so cutting edge even today. Like you can feel that that's a weird angular, crazy bit of art for a studio to make, uh, even now, you know, um, they didn't know. And that's, they, yeah. that was, I think Wells in 40 making this or 41 was that one person at that one time in Culver city, it was 1970 something. Right. 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 And so that's why when there was resurgence of Wells in the seventies, it's like, man, what we're doing now is like pretty much what only Wells did in 1941. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, I mean, you know, Wells, Wells got better. He was like, outside the system. Right. Right. And but, you know, meanwhile, Mank is out, wants to be outside the system, but he still goes to the dinner parties of the system. Exactly, dude. Exactly. And I think that that's the, the glory of that movie. Like, the glory of Mank is that like it relates. Is that a song by the Bengals? The glory uh, of Mank? The glory of Mank is that, uh, is like that all of that relates directly. Like I felt so punched in the gut. Like it's like Fincher walked up and punched me in the gut at the end of the movie. He's just like, that was about you, asshole. Push. <laughs> you know? And I was like, oh, damn it. Like, it was such a, because you expect a movie. Like, I was expecting a movie that is celebratory of the, of the, of the poor writer who never gets credit. Right. That's the movie that I, I honestly believe that this was going in. And instead, right. it's a movie that says, wake up, you asshole. Here's the and thing. I was, I, have, I was stunned. I was absolutely Here's a question stunned. I asked you guys now that I had drank a little bit. As creatives, Chris and Dan, it, I can only speak for me, but for me, anger is a huge part of, uh, you know, basically drawing and creating and writing every day. Mm. Do you use anger as a driving force? I use anything as a driving force. Yeah. I yeah. use anger My as anger a towards motivator. For, I, any, I any emotion at all. As a motivator for change. <laughs> yeah. Right. Generally yeah. speaking, if I'm angry about something creatively, it means that something big is a, I, I need something big you. is going to happen. Right. Anger is the, anger is the, is, anger to anger me can is, be power. Yeah. Like yeah. anger is never the root emotion of anything. Like anger no, is it the, gets is, you up. right. Anger is the resultant emotion of other emotions like fear. Yeah. Right? No, I think anger gets me to the easel. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I feel you. 100%. Not, like literally, I, I you know, did, figuratively. You know, I, I was having, I'm, I'm working on something on the, on the side here and I've got some, some, some people I'm working with and it's a creative thing. And they were like arguing like, I'm, 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 this. And I, I got angry because they, they didn't understand what the fuck I was actually saying. Right. So I got very angry, angry, angry. I built it up. Right. Mm -hmm. And I talked about it with, you know, my wife. And then she was like, you just, put it like why don't you just say what it is and right. i like anger and then i wrote it down <laughs> like here's what it is like outlined everything i made right. this like little document i actually pretty much wrote the declaration like in citizen kane like i put it down right. and they're like declaration oh my god this yeah. is brilliant and i'm like okay we done now and that was like it that would not have come without anger right right and i think what was interesting is that the that to me, it seemed obvious what I was thinking or what I was thinking, but the anger made me realize it's not obvious and that that's why it needs to go down. Anger bubbles things up to the top that are yeah. not always clear. Yeah, like, because yeah, there's. No. Go ahead. Go ahead, Eric. 
I, I use anger to get me to the, to the easel I feel in it. a sense, literally and figuratively. Like I use anger as a driving my contempt for people and things and, and groups <laughs> is right. so strong daily that I have to just vent. That's why, you know, I wake up and, you know, I did, you know, stuff like this today. Can you see it? You know, that's, Same. I'm doing yeah, a whole series beautiful. on. It's nice. On, yeah, on, Young Wells there. Yeah, young, young Kane. Young Kane, and then with little quotes, and we can give them away to fans if they want. Yeah, I love it. It's beautiful. You know what I mean? But it, it gets you to the easel. Like, you just draw, create, write, work on website, and it's a weird thing. And sometimes I feel guilty about it. But when I saw Mank, I was like, I I really identified with some of his um, contempt for, like, being at San Simeon. I, fe mm -hmm. I felt that because uh, you're you an observer uh, of the ridiculous people. I don't want to be a part of your country club. Right. Um, and he even says that he even uses that freaking quote, uh, the, 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 the Marx 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 quote. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to be a member of a club that would have me as a member. Right. And I, right. uh, that as a child watching Woody Allen, I identified that with that so much Yeah, right. because I don't want to be a member of your club. Some, and it's, you know, I've known some pretty amazing people in my life and that's caused me to, I don't know. It's just, but there was a self-destructive thing about Mank that I liked or I identified with. And, yeah, I feel it. But at the same time, uh, you just got to keep going because you know. Well, that's that's the thing, right? Is that like, you know, you'll be dead soon. After yeah, like, uh, next thing you know, it's like I, I can have uh, a back-to-back -back, uh, root canal and and a colonoscopy. Yeah. Right, and that's what it's called Wednesday. It was yeah, like a exactly. German film, dude, like a yeah, German porn, like like a salt in my mouth and behind. Yeah. It's like 120 days of yeah. with Eric yeah. Schiele. <laughs> yeah, he had but his yeah, own little. Did, uh, but the amazing it was, thing it was practically you might as well you might as well film the he, like human centipede at that point. <laughs> God, yeah. I, no joke. Of course, two things on that. When I woke up from my colon thing. They're like, you're, you're fine. We didn't find anything. And then the nurse came by. I was like, the doctor said he found a license plate from Louisiana. Yeah, exactly. He Do did you still car, have that he? license plate? And she looked at me. I was like, that's a Jaws reference. Sorry. I was still like propofol up. That's pretty yeah. good. He didn't need a car, did he? Eric, <laughs> uh, da Daniel Buck has a, has a, has a T-shirt with just that license plate on it. With the Louisiana, that's oh, that's it's, it's just the Jaws so license. So it's like no one else knows what that Jaws like. Yeah, that's like amazing. I love things like that. Yeah, yeah. That's what, that's I, one thing. Go ahead. Go. Nope. You. Dan, go. No, just quickly watching Kane <laughs> again. It was like you can come out with a complete line. I was like, what if somebody did a Kane Citizen Kane line of wallpaper? Because all the cool wallpaper and designs in her room, like the little squirrels, oh, yeah, sure. right. great yeah. kids room wallpaper. It lovely. sounds so ridiculous. <laughs> but the art direction is just so. That's no, gorgeous. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. No, the makeup think... was a little bit, you can see a tear. The, uh, the, oh, the, the, oh, the makeup was terrible. The rubber. Especially the close-ups on him, you could see is like. I know, like, but at the same time, there's a suspension of, uh, of disbelief. It, like, it literally was like, uh, you know what's an interesting point, Dan and mm -hmm. Chris? Can I point this out? Yes. That I no. noticed. No, this is seen... a, well, you can only do that on the podcast. Oh, wait, this is the podcast. Oh, wait. Well, podcast. Are we? Huh. Okay. Are we recording now? The yeah. other thing is, is first of all, <laughs> are we recording? I noticed, oh, we missed that. I missed oh, that. Fuck, we didn't record. Sorry. I noticed, like, um, I'm sorry. In the beginning, he says Rosebud, but mm -hmm. 
but yes. nobody's in the room. So nobody can really hear them. So well, right? we don't know that no one's in okay, the room. Okay, but hold on a second. Nobody can hear. Let's just go back to the thing. She walks into the room. Uh -huh. But then when he's on that camping trip and she's screaming at him, but then they immediately cut to outside and it's so noisy with a jazz band. And yeah. then you're back in the tent. It's like nobody will hear you anyway. Yeah, it's it's almost like nobody can hear you. Yeah. Well, yes. And by the way, I, if you look back at Mank as well, there's a scene at the when they're in the in the tents, right? Camping. Uh, interesting that you said that. Like, why would I go out to uh, like Catherine Hepburn? That's the, think what that, I think that's a reference to Catherine Hepburn. Th yeah, okay, this, that's what I was going to get at. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Why do I want to? Because people knew about it, but then he apparently Hearst, from I read of his biographies, he started saying, "I want to get the Hollywood crowd with Marion Davies and so forth." Right, right, right. So he he basically would send invitations saying, "Come and join Marion Davies and I for a week of camping." But really, it was going to San Simeon. Sometimes they would go to the beach, right. but they it was really he considered San Simeon camping. Right. So right. she said, why would I want to go camping? He eats dinner and uses ketchup, which he did. Mm -hmm. That's why there right. were always Heinz 57 on all the tables. Right. Generous. And so she said, that's ridiculous. I'm not, I don't want to go camping. Right. And she misinterpreted it. Right. Like it was go to San Simeon. But then when Cary Grant never came back, I said, oh, my God, this home is unbelievable. You have to come. He never asked her. And she was, she's like, I blew it. I opened my mouth too soon and I blew it because <laughs> right. she always wanted to go and all her friends went for a week and it was great time. Okay. And she, she was offended that she said no. Okay. So, so, so at, when there's that screaming, right? Yeah. The so at, at the end of her, at the end of her rant, when she talks about when they're in the tent and she leaves and then because there's a party going on outside, there's just this, woman screaming like mm. not in a like party way but, like something <laughs> in a what's happened. happening way right what the fuck happened and it just cuts with no what no explanation as to what the fuck just happened right right mm -hmm. in mank <laughs> mm -hmm. when he's passed out on the bed mm -hmm. he wakes up with a woman screaming, screaming. <laughs> yeah. exactly the same scream yeah. yeah exactly no explanation it just mm -hmm. wakes him up that's yep. the only thing that happens yep yeah. So I'm no, like, right. huh? Because it's like I actually, you, I really, really think you need you need to go back and back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and it, the more you do it, it's going to be like it's yeah, like this. Uh, I actually also think glory, part man. of the, the the level of Mank and some of the subtext and some of the way it was done was because it was it was Fincher's ode to his father. Oh, without a doubt, sure. Like that's oh, absolutely. I, yeah. yeah, and it was like now what what is do, do we know much about Jack Fincher? He was a serial killer. Oh, no. yeah. And he was also so, a journalist. Such a great serial killer. Oh, my God. A very <laughs> the literate. Oh, my God. Yeah. Best, um, no, best in class. Best in class. Best in class. Best in class. He was a journalist. He was a journalist. That's all okay. I know about him, really. Um, but, yeah, that, it's yeah. interesting. Now, he wrote this play or Chris, he was inspired by him? Chris, you corrected me. Or, Dan, did you correct me? Because I thought it was his brother. Uh, yeah, no, it's his brother. father. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's the, his father. Uh, but like the, I think that this is represented because he want, Fincher wanted to make this. David Fincher wanted to make this since the like the late nineties, I think, and uh, and so this was an ongoing conversation between him and his father for the entirety of Fincher's development as a director, like uh, since 
you know, Alien 3 in 1992. You know, he's got a gun. And, and like the, I think that it is, uh, it's more than just like, this is a script my dad did and more like, this is a, uh, this is a converse. This is the subject of a conversation that we've been having for 30 years. You know, mm-hmm. like the, what this movie is trying to wrestle with is, uh, is the resultant, uh, is the result of the conversation that he and his dad were having, because he said about the, like he was, at, it was a, it was a pretty flip question, but it was just sort of like, you know, what, you know, if uh, your dad saw this film the, today, you know, what would, uh, what would he think of it? You know, uh, he, someone asked Fincher and Fincher goes, I think oh, he his dad is dead. His dad is dead. And this guy. So the rewrites were really hard to get. Yeah, like, well, yeah, I see that. Uh, ha, ha, the I see that Eric Roth is one of the producers, I think, on this movie. So I suspect yeah, it was. I yes, actually, I, I used to actually that. work. With, I worked with his son did. when I first moved here. Oh, uh, interesting. I know yeah. his son. Yeah, and I remember going to his house, Eric's house. Yeah. Um, he's an incredible guy. Oh, um, yeah, I, I believe he's, he's certainly a great writer. You know, and the um, uh, and that Eric Roth, uh, I I would guess, I would take a stab anyway. That, that I, I believe he probably like helped with this script, you know, he to softened make it. it. So, he yeah, softened, well, he well, softened a, it up for, for producing credit. 100%. Yeah. yeah like I, I think that like, there is a, there's a sense. That's of, what well, I he, thought wrote, when I saw he wrote it. buttons and he wrote a bunch of other yeah, things. And so like, I think that there's probably like a little bit of script assistance that's going on here. It also has like, it has a lot of the kinds and I, I have no idea if this is true. This is just the, my sense of the thing is like, it has a, a very Eric Roth sense of back and forth between these, mm. Uh, time uh, like uh, time periods in the film and flashbacks and all the the, the sensitive relationship between these things uh, is very powerful and uh, and he's very very good at this stuff um, so I think that there's an aspect of that as well but I think that like Fincher when he responded to this guy saying like so what would your dad think about the movie and Fincher said I think he would have thought I went easy on Wells right. And I was like, that's really interesting. Cause like, I think that it shows that the movie is not a singular Jack Fincher point of view. This is a combination of this is like, like I said, it's a dialogue. That's he actually happening. made the point. He made the point that Eric was just saying, making He's like, I wish he had gone harder on Wells. Right. Yeah. That's what like Jack he, Fincher it, would have wanted. wanted. Yeah. Like I think Finch. Yeah. It's interesting. What do you mean harder on Wells. Because like, uh, like Fincher, Jack Fincher, who oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. his, like his original screenplay was like, was much much harder on literally everybody in the movie, um, and I think that David Fincher, who is not who is known for being a pretty for telling hard stories, yeah. it's interesting that he that it, it's a very very understanding and empathic film about all these characters, uh, which is not something you would normally associate with film, Fincher's filmmaking, and that comes directly from David Fincher, not from Jack Fincher, because like I think that Jack yeah. Fincher probably wanted it to go a lot harder. You know, and so I think that it's it's interesting that uh, that Fincher is a I think Fincher in general is uh, like the entertaining parts of his movies are so entertaining that people overlook what his movies are actually about a lot, you know, and uh, like Fight Club is so much fun that people think it must be shallow. You know, or like uh, I even thought because I didn't like because you know, uh, we worked on Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and I didn't yep. uh, when I when I first saw it, I didn't like it. Right. And it was years later when I saw it again, I was like, Oh, I kind of like this movie. And then I watched it a good few times more than that. And I was like, this is one of Fincher's best movies. I just didn't really get it the first time I saw it. Right. You know, it's cause there's a, there's a movie under the movie. And uh, yeah, I, I, I honestly think when people say it's shallow, it's because they don't understand the visuals. 
Yeah, well, you know, they just don't like yeah. they're seeing they're seeing the it visuals one. are too sophisticated, so they right. think they're trying to be sold something visually like an yeah, ad. Exactly. And then exactly. they say it's shallow, right. but they don't bother to look. They can't right. think they don't, of they don't of, hear of, of something in text being sophisticated and visuals being sophisticated. Right. right. You know, yeah. that's the problem. Yeah, because like I, I really feel like these. Like depending on whether it's Mank or whether it's Seven or whether it's Fight Club or whether it's Gone Girl or whatever it is, like the, there's an audience that's there for the the surface nature of the movie, and I totally respect that. Like you go to Gone Girl because you want to see a crazy movie where this woman mur- murders somebody or something. Like you you want that kind of sassy, nasty fun. That's what you're buying the ticket to, right? Wow, that sounds like a website. Sassy, nasty, sassy, fun. nasty fun, and like and, come come and, and visit so, us. And so, like on one level, that's what he's selling. So we should enjoy that. But because that's the most memorable, immediately memorable thing, uh, it's hard to it's hard for people to look beyond that. And sometimes they make judgments based on that, like you're saying, Eric. And with a movie like Mank, like it's so technically. Uh, well, like well accomplished, and so con- conceived in this very specific way that invites people to dissect it visually and talk about how it, you know, like evokes the period and all this, and the, the lighting is wonderful and the new camera that he shot it on. And I'm like, that's all great, but that's not what the movie is. You know, I'm yeah, glad yeah. that it does all that stuff, but I, I think there's more. There's a hell of a lot more. But to that's, it than that. but that's, but that's awesome. But yeah, it's that's great. awesome because it's so many things that you can take this mo- away from this movie, right? right? In the same way that you look at Citizen Kane, it's like okay, you know, there's a lot of things that are so many different levels. You can look at you can look at Citizen Kane and look at the sets. You can right. look at Citizen Kane and look at the camera work. You can look yep. at Citizen Kane and look at all this ridiculous the, screenplay the, structure, at, at, everything, whatever it is. The yeah. screenplay structure, all of those things that were revel- like completely mind blowing at the time. Right. And you know, like I've never seen anything like this. Yeah. And that is, you know, something that I think Mank has as well. Yeah. And I, I do want to get into this conversation uh, is <laughs> because this has happened many, many times. And this is, you know, I'm, I'm going back to that HBO Max thing that we talked about at the beginning. And this is something that's current as, as of right now. Uh, all these directors out there have gone in there, and if you guys on the on 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 Twitch want to chime in with your thoughts, please please do. But like all these directors, especially like the Chris Nolans and 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 everyone, are like livid about what happened. Oh, the HBO deal, uh, yeah, HBO deal, right? right? Yeah, and 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 they're they're really angry because basically what happened is. Uh, uh, besides they were all going to get specific kinds of credits for the selling of this movie right. uh, and money and yep. all that got taken away because of this deal. So it's, it's, it, if you think it's about creative, like, no, it should be in theaters. It's not, it's about money. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. Selfish douchebags just around hanging out with the uh, Hearst. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, right. It's about money. Yeah, I mean, like, and, 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 I, I do think that, like, there's, like, there's an element, there's an element of truth to the, the, like, the artistic disappointment that they are voicing is also true. I understand where they're coming from. Is it? Be a, sure. I mean, but I that's feel the that thing. Way. In terms of the artistic disappointment, I say, fuck it. Look at what Fincher did. And oh, if yeah. you guys can't yeah. see that Fincher is able to create something, and you're sitting there wanting to drive around in your Model Ts while everyone else is driving a Tesla, well, then yeah, yeah. Like, just I'm, get on board. I, you know, I don't mean to make it's an like, argument. I have no argument to, to to say that they're right. I'm just saying that they're. I understand their emotions in this. Like, I, like if you if you are. 
Like there are there are plenty of people. I have not shot a film camera in a long time. I know, but but that is yeah, sure. But like that that you have made the the transition doesn't mean that other people have successfully made the emotional transition. Yeah, I understand that, but it's (laughs) not that I don't appreciate film and filmic should exist. But don't expect a mass audience. To follow it's, things, you into things the past. are different. Yeah. Like things are, yeah. things are different. Right. And, and, like, and the it, fact that Nolan is going to say, like, people should see my film in theaters. You know what, Chris Nolan? People shouldn't die. And I bet you some people got coronavirus and some might have been hospitalized and some might have died because they went to see the tenant. Yeah, right. That's possibly and true. that's wrong. <laughs> and that's wrong. Like, and you are a selfish person for f- emphasizing that this needs to happen. Yeah, so like I, th- I the, feel like like you look at the two different reactions from Nolan and Villeneuve, right? Like Villeneuve is also uh, upset about it. Like but he's like he's obviously emotionally upset about it because like you know like if I were making if I want I mean like if I were wanting to make something like that and see it on the big screen since I was a little kid and then I and then essentially that's taken out from under me. I can understand the I I, I would feel exactly the same way, one hundred percent. I totally feel it, um, and. Uh, and his so his argument is partly that, and the other or the other argument is like he doesn't buy HBO's point of view that this is going to lead to more Dune movies. He thinks it's going to actually get in the way of more Dune movies. And so his reaction was like, "I'm I'm very disappointed, and I think this is a bad business decision." Whereas Christopher Nolan, whom I don't know, and I don't I hate picking on people I don't know, but his reaction was way more about Christopher Nolan. <laughs> you know, like oh, was, absolutely. Like, and I was like, "That's absolutely you know, come on, man! Like this is not the world does not owe you anything." <laughs> no, exactly, and that's freaking selfish uh yeah. uh yeah and oh, that's I, I, I love i love so, uh, so our comments it's like what uh, uh he <laughs> he uh, too says soderberg is a good example as well of a grateful move to streaming yes yes great without story. a doubt well saying soderberg is, uh, as we've uh, talked about before is a great hero of mine as is villeneuve for that yeah matter. And villeneuve as well absolutely and I, but i I think they got screwed financially is True. really what it comes down to. Right. It's not about the art of 35 millimeter film. Like, listen, you know, if you want to sit here and argue about 35 or 70 millimeter film and you say, you know, you have to go come go see my movies in theaters right. because that's the only way to express it. It's like, fine. You know, I'm not going to say the only way to drive a car is to get into a model T either. Yes. It was a great, right. it was a great car and revolutionized everything about the automotive industry. But, but you got to figure out what new ways it, to it do belongs in the past. We've moved right. forward since then, you know? And the thing is, uh, like, I, I think you, like, you don't want to take the, you don't want to take the view that everything new is good. And you don't want to take the view that every, everything old is bad, you know, like right. you, uh, or vice versa. Like, but everything uh, new is shiny and uh, yeah. really nice and makes my <laughs> like, eyes feel good. I, That's what, it was so refreshing to see Fincher's film because it wasn't just about like fuck it. Every it was actually a huge homage to the past mm-hmm. in a medium that is completely about the future, right? And, and the movie is constantly talking sure about how nudity, things are changing. Yeah. You know, like right. the, the movie has a great. I love the scene when they, like after they yeah, finish course. the movie pitch, like yeah, they say like we have got to get people back in the movie theaters, and then uh, fucking uh, Manx <laughs> says, well maybe we should start showing movies in the street then. But like they'll go back in the theaters. <laughs> That we show movies in the street like everyone's running away from the movies guys where you like get with the program right. <laughs> yeah <know>? yeah yeah <laughs> eric you had what well, you had something you were saying i was just saying it would have been nicer if mag had more nudity but 
I'm okay. There was, the, there was a little bit older. They did. Yeah. They yeah. did. Just brief. I needed yeah. more full frontal, but it's fine. Well, it was. The, the, they hid obviously. the nipples. I, I like the, I like the pasties on that. It's it was very pretty, tasteful. Sparkly yeah. and tasteful. That's the way I like yeah. it. What I did like about the, about that 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 the 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 woman uh, in in that scene. Is that you know? It, <laughs> well, what did that, you like about the, the stenographer's <laughs> pad? Yeah, is her? I actually looked. At, I watched the movie several times. I went through that scene a couple times. Of course, uh, no, is uh, she in a in, in a 1940s film or a 1960s or 50s film? She would have been very very ditzy. But if yeah. you actually look at her expression, she's smart. Oh, she's totally. She actually looks like she's <laughs> yeah. she's totally in a conversation. Yeah. She's, she's totally doing her job. Christina she's Ricci. just topless, yeah. which is yeah. a Christina very Ricci. yeah. It's, and she's like, actually, yeah, it's great. You know? it's great. She's guy. sitting there, and I was like, yeah, I like. It's like that was funny. That was it. It, it added a layer. Of, well, the other thing that's really great about it is specifically because it's Mank is that this movie was funny. It was oh, funny it's extremely film, funny, right? Extremely funny. All the way. The through. puns are great. Yeah. You know. Listen, yeah. I watch a lot of Frasier in this household, and so I can take a lot of puns. Yeah, and like so there's some nice to see smart, snappy stuff in this movie. Smart writing, Ridiculous. smart yeah, writing. It's great. Yeah, and like the uh, and like and gently done. I mean, like everything is like everything. Like it's not a hard sell movie. It's not like like telling you jokes to make you laugh. It's just like mm-hmm. being at a really easy, very very nice party. Where you're like, this is mm-hmm. lovely and everything looks great. And all these people are charming and the jokes are funny and the drinks are pouring. And slowly it's getting sadder, you know, and like, yes. and you're just it's slipping same, away yeah, you're from right. you, you know. And the, like the, that, that party scene at the beginning weird, where yeah. that party scene at the beginning where he's first invited. Right. And he's like, oh, you get to be sit to the right of, of William Hurst. It's like, yeah. First of all, the fact that she calls him Poppy is a Poppy. Poppy, yeah, pops, exactly. yeah. Pops, yeah. pops, pops, pops. Yes. Yeah. Oh, like, nerd. Yeah. yeah, weird, weird. And the thing is, I love the portrayal. I love the uh, Charles Dance is Hurst. I love him in this movie, and because yeah. he is, he is. There's nothing villainous about him. Like they don't give him one villainous line at all. Like he Mm-mm. is a he is a charming, easy guy. Who is happy to have Mank there and constantly He's facilitating conversations and yes. letting everyone make themselves assholes? Yes, yes, yes. And <laughs> including, the only, oh, absolutely, uh, uh, LB Mayor. Right? LB Mayor, yeah, exactly. Yes. Like I yeah. love when, like when Mank starts telling the story oh. about uh, 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 fucking uh, uh, Upton Sinclair, and he hasn't named right. Upton Sinclair yet, right? And the, what he's actually doing is he's saying. Well, he's telling a story about Hearst and how how Hearst used to be like Upton Sinclair, right? Mm-hmm. And Upton Sinclair said, this guy is going to be a, the socialist president of America. And then L.B. Mary is like, what kind of horse shit is this? That guy's an asshole. And he goes, you know who that guy right. was? Your fucking boss. That yeah. you are the Tony right. to. You know, and like right. empowering uh, Mank so much in that front end made me love him and love every part of hanging out with him, and it's all wonderful. And then at the end, I'm like, "What happened? <laughs> like, where did it all go? Oh no!" I said, like so, yeah. suddenly, I like I just talked myself uh, out to death and out of a job, and I'm kicked out of the circle, and the sun's no longer shining on me. Why? You know, and then he, then the movie is all almost a tragedy because like all that just right. goes right by that uh, happened to you, Dan. <laughs> yes, it did. Yes, it did. And like, this is the, like I was, I felt I identified with this movie so very strongly that I was, I was quite shaken at, at the end of watching this thing. Like I was like choked mm-hmm. up 
just trying to articulate how I felt about it. And like, I'm not, not like Fincher is my favorite filmmakers. I'm not normally choked up by a Fincher film. Like that's a rarity. And like, they're like, I think, right. and, the, and, and like for him to get this particular emotion, that's very, very specific, uh, so clearly across to me and to, uh, the audience, I was, I was stunned. I was really stunned. It's something I'd never seen in a film before. And it's really incredible work. And so like, I feel like the, like on Twitter right now, there's like, it's sort of like, there's a spread of reactions to this thing, but mostly people are like, people will talk about how great it looks or they'll talk about like, Oh, that didn't really happen or they love it or they're kind of bored by it or whatever. I'm just like, I, where's the dialogue about what this thing means? Like, what is the art that we just saw? And what is, how does that relate to us? And I feel like that's what happened to Kane. You know, it's like the same thing again. Like Kane didn't do well. Everyone brushed it off and it wasn't yeah. until like the 60s that uh, 70s. 70s yeah yeah. Surgeons, yeah that that people started to realize what a great work of art this is and was so nominated like, for what six oscars and got one for got story? one That's yeah it. exactly i think it was eight or nine and yeah. it got one but it just it just disappeared check, on people's yeah. radar you know and uh and for people and if you had talked to somebody in the 1950s about like what a great movie citizen Kane's was like they, they would have been like what <laughs> what, what movie most people had not even seen it and, well that's uh, interesting because it's like now it's such a cliche right like oh citizen kane greatest movie of all time a lot of people think that right a lot sure, because or, right. or or being told that right being told that, and yeah. I, I and and that's the thing that i think is interesting like you, you know uh it citizen kane right now almost feels uh, it, it almost feels like uh, like the the high society snobby film, right? You know, what I mean, like, sure, right, oh right. well, I love to, you know, like you're going to talk about citizen. There's so many talking points to Citizen Kane that has been written that you can sit there and go, you can go to a you know fancy dinner party and and use all your you know just regurgitate all that stuff and try right. to sound like a smart person. Yeah, and I, that, I think that, that's a little sad. I think well, <laughs> yeah. some of the some of the things too for me, it's like. The, the resurgence of Kane came in the 70s. And the 70s was a type of filmmaking really that, that was daring. He, that was daring that he did alone as one individual right. in it, it, 1940. It, so yeah, I think and, a and lot it of the people. Didn't make, who it didn't make sense enough, until, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah until, right. until I can't believe up. I missed this. Yeah. I can't believe I missed I agree. this. It I is agree. a genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, well, shit, man. It was yeah. an auteur. Orson Welles did that in 1941. Right. It's like, yeah. And, and, and in fact, oh. I would, I would, I would argue. We're talking about The Godfather when we should be looking at Citizen Kane. <laughs> yeah. And, and I would argue that Welles actually, because Welles, there's, like, like I said, there's like eight other Orson Welles films that I prefer to Citizen Kane. And they, yeah. he, and for me, his movies only get better as he gets older. And like, right. so when you, by the time you get to Chimes at Midnight, I'm like, Chimes at Midnight is an actual honest to God masterpiece. Like that's something that you just go, what the, like, I've never seen anything like that movie in my life. Like that's just incredible work across the board. And it's made by a visionary who is incredibly daring, formally daring in every way. And, uh, and he's in this, I don't know, like late fifties or sixties by this point. And he's making much, much better work than Kane. That he doesn't, that doesn't get recognized until like 10 years ago. Kane is, Kane is bravado. Mm -hmm. Kane is doing, and I think the Toland explains everything. Mm -hmm. Like he doesn't know what he's doing, but yet he is completely in control. I'm just, and he inspires everybody else to their best work, right? Like that's like that's what that's what he was actually the master of. Like he's a ringleader. 
Like he's like he's like he's boosting everybody else. He's like he recognizes talent, he recognizes great art, and he and he gets everyone so pumped up that they deliver their best stuff. Like by working with him, like he's got a vision unto his unto his own, especially editorially. But like you see, like Tony Perkins in um, in um, uh, what do you call it? The Kafka movie there. Um, uh, like, it's just like, like this, like that and psycho or Tony Perkins's movies. Like that's where he's a home run. And it's because he worked with Orson Welles and he reached the top of his game. Like Orson Welles is the greatest coach in the world. You know, he's just like, I'm going to drive you up to these heights. You're going to get all the way up to the top of the mountain with me. Like, and that's what he did. That's what he did with Toland. I mean, Toland continued to do great work, but like, you know, but Kane was like, Kane's Kane. You know, that's the way it works. Ambersons and stuff like this. And like, I, I feel like that's the thing. When you say like uh, the, it wasn't recognized until the seventies. Yeah. Because the seventies was a, a time of. Auteurs. Of, of, of auteurs yeah. and great change. Like we're seeing mm-hmm. that as, as you're bringing up Chris now, where like, right. it's now time to fucking artistically engage with shit with new, with the new media. Like, let's oh do this. Oh my God. Right. Let's Did you see this. the lineup from Disney? Oh God! Yeah, it was so depressing. Don't even. Oh my God! I almost went insane. I was just what like, line up. Like, it's just like you're going to get a shotgun all in the, the face shit of Star Wars. <laughs> Star 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 Wars and uh, Star Wars and Marvel is going to be like just just this like a bukkake of crap. Face. <laughs> it's, it's like I was just like, so, so fucking terrible. It's 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 horrifying. And and, and then fuck, one of the name of the top Marvel series are going to do. Are you are you ready, Eric? It's going to be Falcher. the Falcon <laughs> and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Oh, I was Falcon. It's Falcon and the Snowman only superheroes. This yeah, is dude. not America. Yeah, dude. Thing is that this I don't I work for the CIA. <laughs> um, okay, I'm yeah. going to do that. Ready, me, ma, dad. I work for the CIA, okay? <laughs> this is serious stuff down in Mexico. I want you to know oh, what God I'm bless doing. It. Falcon and Snowman. But that's the thing. The Falcon like, and the Snowman. I'm, I'm not saying that any of these things are bad. Like, it's the I'm, Winter Soldier. It's pretty damn close to the Snowman. Yes. Yeah, it's Falcon <laughs> and the Snowman. But this is the thing. It's like I, I'm not saying that By any the of way, those things that Disney is making are bad. I'm just saying that is the most boring possible lineup of choices. I could possibly imagine it's gonna t- it's gonna cost a billion way, dollars, two billion of, dollars sp- to make all that shit. Yeah, two billion, By the way, three billion dollars. It could be good, but that choice wise, that's as boring as it gets. Like, there's nothing there that says we are excited to create things. That is okay. only we are excited to market stuff to Target. Okay, <laughs> that is, that here's is the it. deal. Go ahead, Eric. Go ahead, Eric. Um, did you see what FX greenlit on or start, said announced what they're going to do on Thursday was mm. the creator, the, the showrunner, creator of The Crown. Oh, his yeah. next project for FX is going to be The Stones in the early 70s. Oh, I did hear about this. Yeah, you. that's right. That's right. That's interesting. There you go. That's interesting. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Rock yep. and roll. It's, it's now the time. Yeah. For a yes. project so that we have, oh, that we know are going to succeed, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's a the, big deal, man. And then, uh, also, another interesting thing, uh, and he said basically, uh, I don't have the time for that kind of Marvel and Star Wars stuff. Like it's too much, right? And th- the fact is, I'm watching Mandalorian now. I'm uh, we're slowly catching up on season two of Mandalorian, mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, I saw this before. Oh wait, that's right. It was called the A Team. Yeah, the same <laughs> stuff. That's the same stuff. It's like, this is the thing. It's dude. not it's like, that special. It's right. not that special. Right. It's the, it's the production the value A-team. is high. Right. 
Like this is the, the like the of. thing is that like I'm I when, once I saw stuff like this and how I feel like I don't think that any of this is ne- is necessarily bad. Like uh, there's stuff about Mandalorian I like and like there's plenty. Of, I'm like I'm not dissing any of Star Wars. And I'm not dissing them making these things. That's fine. They could be fun, but the fact is like this is like cowboy TV in the fifties now. Like, yep. This right. is where we're oh, at. Oh, Dan, that was the smartest thing you've said in, uh, since I've met you. This is this really? is where we're at now. This is exactly well, where we're at. One of them. It's you know, basically Bonanza. You're saying we're making Bonanza? Bonanza. We're making Bonanza. <laughs> Bonanza. Yeah. Like and then, like I love is. Bonanza. Bonanza is wonderful. It's great. I love Lauren Green. Absolutely great. You know the the uh, you know the uh, the what God like, like there's six great Western television shows. But the reason why there were Big Valley. Big Valley. Like there's the reason why there's a bazillion great Western TV shows in the fifties is because that's the only thing they were willing to risk money on because Westerns made money and that's it. That's there's no like like out of this oh, comes yeah. Easy Rider. Out of this comes uh the Godfather Jaws because people just get fucking sick of this stuff. Like right. when I when I saw that lineup of like what twenty new Star Wars shows, I was like we like this is not going to not break. This you're is done. going to break. You're done. <laughs> like you're done. Like you well, might. What's also interesting is, sure. is they announced they announced a different channel specifically for content that is more suitable for adults. Oh my <laughs> Realizing God. that the limitations of yeah. their Star Wars brand is teenagers, and yes. they're also putting out a whole new channel. Or lack of yeah, intelligence right. is more specific. Yeah, they're putting yeah, sure, out a, exactly. well, a whole new channel as well for all right. their streaming shows called Shitstorm, and that's just <laughs> going to be a separate <laughs> subscription base. It's an entire channel de- dedicated to Benji movies. Hard yeah, Benji Shitstorm. movies. Hard R. We got some really great titles here. <laughs> oh God, the series. Yeah, that's that's what we're going to be doing. But like the, we're going to uh, do Smoking the Abandoned Outtakes, a complete three-hour movie, and it's curated by none other than <laughs> Apple Dumpling. Uh, Apple Dumpling Gang. Yeah, exactly. Apple Dumpling uh, Gang Knights. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like that's what, like that's Don Knotts' kind of, valet is going to yeah. talk about Don. Yeah, Don exactly. was a great guy. Yeah. <laughs> Like this, <laughs> this is the kind of stuff where he loved Ohio. Like I said, like there's loads of great uh, of, the, of this kind of material that comes out in the sixties, fifties, and sixties on TV. But it is the death of television. Like it's like it is the death of yeah, television, it and it is because that leads into Battle of the Network Stars, which we now has be- has become the primary reference of this uh, podcast. Yeah, but and, that actually uh, still holds up, and uh, great... it's wonderful. But like the uh, the seventies, both film and TV get reborn entirely like wholesale because you have the Norman Lear revolution in TV with Archie Bunker Mm -hmm. and uh, like an entirely new way to make TV uh, that look from Mary Tyler Moore that leads all the way through up into the eighties with yeah taxi, all this stuff. So television changes for markedly for the better in the, in the seventies and in the sixties, it starts the independent film revolution that leads to the seventies, which is the greatest period of American film. And all that is because of new changes in technology and the ability to shoot like with small crews with fast film outside with, and, and go make your own movie. Like that is now times a thousand with uh, the way things work now. And uh, when you get someone like Fincher making an old time, old seemingly old style movie that is saying, embrace your, uh, the, your artistic self in this new technology and show your political voice. Like he's, he's using an old movie to encourage you to break through. Thank you. Thank you. Because that's the thing that I think is so important because you guys all know how anti-nostalgia I am. Mm-hmm. This film is not nostalgic. This film yes. is showing you <laughs> specifically it is how, how it's showing you specifically that 
oh, yes, this is a great thing, and this happened in the past, but do you see the parallels of today? And you see how history, so this is the importance of learning from the past so that we don't make the same mistakes today. I, do you think you're, it's nostalgic? I actually don't think I'm a nostalgic person, Chris, but you're I gotta not. remember, I was just thinking, guys, do you Well, you're nostalgic we about rock and roll. Do you <laughs> remember when we all worked at DD and how much fun we had? No. Ugh, going to the screening room. Yeah, that's grabbing a good lunch time. together. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So much yeah. fun. Wiping the white worked. powder off the Wacom tablets. Yeah. 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 <laughs> good times. No, I'm not nostalgic about rock and roll. Well, yeah. no. well maybe. <laughs> maybe a touch. But no, that, you a... love rock and roll. You love rock and roll. You're not nostalgic about right. it. You love it. And that's but, different. Well, there's specific reasons why, but yes. No, you love the, you love you love old rock and roll because it's great. Right. That's the root. There's a difference between and, and you love history too, which is also mm -hmm. very good. But there's a difference between loving history and being nostalgic, right? Yes. And it, and 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 the difference is like it was better in the past because this, no. right? It, yeah, that no. you're not that person, yeah. you're not that person. But you're like this was this was part of what happened in history, and isn't that amazing? That's not nostalgic. That's a love of history, and I yeah. think that's very different. Yeah, I mean anything that you can say about like anything that you love that is old, you should be able to say you would let you love it because of you love it today, not because you love it because it's old. Like loving something because it's old is not loving something. That's just that's just fantasizing about uh, days gone by. Like, and the thing is, I just watched a bunch of Cary Grant movies on um, on uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, Criterion. MC. And uh, and I watched oh, the um, Criterion ones. Yes, what did you yeah, think of those? Oh, I think they're great. I mean, the it's su super charming, super funny, and uh, like. Hey, yeah, are we going it? a little long? Should I get another drink, or should we wrap it up? I'm just wondering. Should, I think we're going a little long. I'm going to get another drink. Yeah, I'll go ahead. Yeah, go for it. But the um, like I saw that it was that I saw the awful truth, and like yeah. like yeah, it's a, like that's a really good movie. That's a really good funny movie. Like it wouldn't compete with other romantic comedies that I've seen in the past twenty years. Like it's not as good as Tootsie. It's not as good as uh, you know, jeez, uh, I can list a bunch of them. But like you know, things like The Trip or stuff like that. Like those are better movies. Uh, but I watched it. And I was like, if I if this came out today, I'd be like, oh, that was a good Netflix movie. I like I like all the stars involved. This is very charming, but like that when I say that, like in my in my film forums on Facebook, like people are just like, "How can you diss this classic?" You know, it's yeah. I'm just like because it's pretty good. It's not they the latch greatest. onto it because it, it latches with meaning. Yes, to them exactly. As exactly. their identity, and you, yes. you don't want to have that. You just keep going. It's a wa it's a waste of time. Like like it because yeah. you like it. That's fine. Just keep that's going. totally fine. You know, and I feel that that's the like that's what has happened even to people that love Star Wars. Like Star Wars is not about story anymore. It's about loving Star Wars. Yeah, it's you know? a brand. It's a franchise. it's a brand. It's a total brand. You know, and like they're they're nostalgic for, you know, what they perceive from their childhood to be this amazingly meaningful event, and they'll just feel that amaz that amazement as long as it says the word Star Wars. You yeah, know? it's and like that's watching not... a Grease reunion. It's yes, like, like yeah. that doesn't work, dude. You have to make a good work. movie. Yeah. Like you can make a good Star Wars movie, absolutely. They've done it before, you know. But but you can't just say it's good because it's Star Wars. You can't say just say it's. I good actually think it's I had heard that Tarantino was interested at one time. I think that would have been the best thing for the film. Oh yeah, well, yeah, that was for a Star Trek. Yeah, I would have loved the Tarantino Star Trek. I wish they had actually gone through with that. I knew they wouldn't. <sighs> that, that would never happen. But uh, like Tarantino understands like good structure and writing from TV in the sixties. Of course, he would do a good Star Trek. Like you I would, would have the, loved a Spielberg Star Wars. 
That would have been fantastic. Yeah, sure. I would. I would have loved a mid to late two thousand Spielberg Star Wars. No, no, like no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, early, early. Like, yeah. I, like I would have. I would have gone with like a uh, like the Spielberg that made fucking um, uh, Minority Report, AI, War of the Worlds, in Munich. Yeah, I want to yeah, see. Exactly. I want to see that Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to as opposed to Episode One, Two, or Three. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks. No, I'm all set with that stuff. But like, like I've said, mm-hmm. like I'm all right with Star Wars now. I just feel like when I saw that list, I was just like, uh, like Disney, fifty like, things. They announced fifty things. Yeah, like it was fifty, fifty different colors of pizza. <laughs> it was like this is all pepperoni, though. <laughs> it was really, yeah. it was wild to me to see that. But yeah, I, I think that uh, I think that that's what's coming. Like even more so than I've ever thought. I was like watching Mank. I'm like, this is a a brilliantly photographed digital experience that is specifically made for a uh, home viewing in the style of something old. But the entire statement is new. Uh, well, the thing that's interesting is that everyone right now, especially in the in the in the press and everyone, are focusing on streaming and the movies because of the pandemic right it's very obvious so you need to focus on these things because like what's going to happen to movies and movie theaters right the fact is i still think and i've said it many every time we get on this 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 podcast it's like the movie industry was already dead (laughs) this is just accelerating the process they put the the pedal the metal on that stuff right so 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 it was already going in this direction now what's interesting is everyone is focused on on what you know hbo is competing with netflix competing with amazon competing with this here's the thing amazon doesn't give a shit amazon has more money than they could ever need right Right. they're they they got plenty of money so they're just making sure that you stay subscribed to prime so that Mm -hmm. you can continue to buy stuff the only reason they're making movies is you continue to buy stuff on it's an advertisement that's for them it's all it is, right? Yep. Yep. Netflix uh, uh, is their model is uh, they actually said it very specifically. And this is the most astute thing. It's like we're not actually competing against Amazon and Apple and HBO Max. We're competing against Fortnite. Yeah, that's <laughs> right? exactly true. Right? Because exactly the, right. the, the, the fact is the, all of that, that, that entire model is not based on buying movie tickets. It's against like screen time. The yeah. more time you spend on the screen, looking at their content, the more they make in terms of right. money or the like, more they get the attention. Yeah, This isn't, right? this isn't seat rentals in a theater. This is yeah. like, you are looking right. at advertisement constantly. Right. Like, so their competition is TikTok and, 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 uh, and Fortnite. Right. Right. And that's what I think the Disney's and the HBO's, while it seems they have massive content and they're like, we have all the content. They don't. Right. 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 They don't actually have, I mean, they, they do, they'll, they'll do fine, but that's not the competition. Their competition is not to compete against, uh, 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 those things. It's to compete against the other stuff. Right. And what's also interesting is that Netflix, or sorry, uh, uh, the net, yeah. So if if you the there's a model that's very clear, and I think most of the streaming guys get this. It's you go to you. Okay, so so you put it like you go to Disney Plus to watch Mandalorian, but then you stay to watch the other stuff, right? Right. So I. Netflix, like, you know, 
you know, uh, Stranger Things is, is a great show, mm -hmm. uh, but I only watch it once. Right. I don't watch it more than once. Right. I watch The Office many, many, yeah, many more times exactly. than I watch. Frasier, that, uh, that Friends, stays on. Frasier, yeah. yeah. That so that's the thing. That's the stuff. You, 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 go for, you go for Stranger Things and you stay for The Office, right? right. But the fact is, <clears throat> and it was a very interesting because there was a whole podcast about it on The Verge. I said, okay, if you guys are really interested in this, go to The Verge and follow a reporter named Julia Alexander. And she talks about the streaming networks more intelligently and more better than anyone I've ever seen. She's really, really good. But she basically is like, I think that, you know, some of the studios are like, okay, so Peacock, which is NBC, they decided they are, you know, they, that that's their streaming network. They're going to pull the office from Netflix, right? Mm -hmm. Because it gets a lot of attention on Netflix mm -hmm. and go to Peacock. Right. No one's going to quit. Netflix, Netflix to go to Peacock just because of the office. <laughs> exactly. They're just going to find something else. Yes. Yes. That's kind of similar. Yeah. The I don't care what your hors d'oeuvres are. Streamers are lazy. Yeah. The streamers are lazy. It's like, yes. oh, no, I'm going to go to another party because they have better sliders. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Dude. I think I'm going to stay at this party. Oh, you don't have sliders? Okay. Do you have like, like the, the mini wieners? Good enough. That's fine. I'll, I'll eat the mini wieners. Yes. <laughs> that is fine. We'll do that. That's fine. Yeah, it's exactly right, dude. Yeah, I think it's, I, I really think that these guys don't know what, like, they don't know, like, I have good and, good and bad things to say about things like TikTok, right? Like, I think that, or YouTube, like, I think that there's an enormous amount of incredible skill that's shown every day on TikTok, like, editorially and, like, uh, some really sharp, incredibly witty things being done. Uh, and experimental filmmaking galore is happening on TikTok, like, every single day, right? Um, right. It's, nobody has, nobody is yet applying it to anything that is more meaningful than a brief gag in a moment. Like it's, it's, it's not being, no one's, no one's expanding the art of that yet. You know, like they're developing right. the tool set. Uh, and I think that it's going to be a very powerful tool set, but like it has yet to sort of leap out of its, get out of its cage. Right. Um, and right. whereas like you see YouTube has started to get out of its cage a little bit where it's basically, it's like self-produced high quality television shows by just people that want to do it out of their house. You know, like right. I want to make a, I it's like make a, a self-published book, but you'll put yeah. it on yeah. YouTube instead. But now right. it's been yeah. entirely legitimized and, and companies are backing individuals to do this. And it's starting to get out of YouTube's control in that way. You know, like that is right. like, it's starting to change into a new kind of experience, uh, which is right. really exciting. I don't think YouTube has a problem with that. <laughs> no, yeah, no, YouTube, like YouTube, it doesn't know, like it, it's trying to stay they on top of They didn't pay a fucking it. dime for it. Yeah, exactly. they, they didn't pay a dime to have that guy. Like, yeah. they're, they're, their only job is to try to figure out how to continue to monetize that experience. Like they don't, they're, they're not right. interested in putting any controls on what the content is. The content is making the money hand over fist, but they want to make sure that they, uh, that it doesn't get out of their control in terms of creating a new art that some other technology then handles better you know like it doesn't want to get born off into a new thing they want to maintain they want to make the corral big right and let mm -hmm. everyone play in it and uh but like at the same at the same time you know like i do wish there was some way to express um you know uh uh like the, the, the skills that are being developed on TikTok in longer form, more impactful stuff. Like I would like to be able to see that where I want more crossover between the, in, the artists on TikTok and the people that are making 10 hour movies on Netflix. 
you know, like, mm-hmm. like what happens when you get some incredibly young, uh, like cutting edge editor and bring her over to a Netflix uh, movie? What happens instead of like right. cutting it the same old way? You know, because like when I watched later, later period Wells, like I was watching F is for fake, right? No, it's just one of his last movies. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching this thing. And I'm like that, like a lot of this, I'm like, the editing is so fast in this. It is like TikTok. Like there's like three and four frame cuts of information. It's, it's insane, you know, and it, and it works incredibly well to deliver all this information at once to both inform and confuse you, you know, and make use of that the way that Wells does in that movie. And it's, and it's, and it's, it's part of the trick that he pulls and it's incredible, but nobody's yet used it. But you, when you have like Netflix is stuck in this position of like, are we making movies or are we making TV or are we making something else? You know, and they, like they more than anybody need to uh, start allowing for bigger exploration and experimentation because they will turn into just shitty TV if they're not careful. Like most of their stuff, like they have all this premier great material, Queen's Gambit, you know, whatever, Mank, obviously. But like the most, most of what they're showing now is, you know, comfort food. And like you said, people will get that wherever they are drawn, whatever party they're drawn to, you know? And I think that that's, that's their, for them, that's their instability. They have a lot of money and a lot of way to move right now, but like they're the ones who are in trouble versus TikTok and YouTube. I think that Netflix is probably afraid of where those go as opposed to how, you know, feeling like it's totally on top of the game. Netflix, no one's quitting Netflix because there's good stuff on Disney. Right, sure. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Oh, Disney's not even a player. D- in this. Netflix doesn't get any money from advertising. Netflix right. only gets money from subscribers. So right. the only thing they need to do is either gain more subscribers or retain the ones they have. That's their right. only business model. Right. And no one's quitting Netflix. Yep. Right? They, they, they started it. They right. are the ones that started a revolution, right? And so what they're doing is they're basically saying, we have this platform. We have a certain amount of money we're going to put out every year to make good stuff out of there. And you know what? And we're going to give a platform for people like David Fincher to do whatever the fuck he wants. Sure. Right. Yeah, right. Like I think that because Fincher, that, Fincher, you've got that film that your dad wrote a long time ago, and you never it. could get it done. Yeah, let's do let's it now. It right, let's do that thing. Yeah, right, like you know what? Warner Brothers was never going to make that movie. No, nope. Paramount was never going to make that movie. Yeah, because that you only know, could come because of Netflix. Netflix today is uh, is like what's his name? Kid stays in the picture. You know, like yeah, he's right. that like Netflix is that guy who's just like, let's do Godfather and Jaws and conversation, you know, like take risks on these things because I can. I'm incredibly rich. <laughs> I can afford to do it. Right. Let's, let's just do it. And like it's a big breakthrough moment for those studios at that time. Right. Right. But uh, but even still, if I were Netflix, the one I would be really afraid of is YouTube because YouTube is the one that is actually truly changing very quickly yep. and is totally driven by the creatives. Like, yeah. The one I watch all the time. I was telling you guys about the mining guy. I yeah. bought a ghost town. I love that show. Yeah. And, and to you, it's a show, right? It's like, yeah. And, and what's the Rob Robel, the, the Mark Robel, that guy. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. And he puts it out on his time, on his schedule, on his creative. He doesn't have to answer to any fucking studio executives. That is the big deal. That is the big deal. Like this is the, that is the, and he has a lot of followers, right? Yeah. But you know who also has a lot of followers? Ryan's toys. 
<laughs> I suppose that's true. <laughs> right? And that's and there is, right? And Battle of the Network Stars and all the other crap that's out there. Yeah. I mean, like I'm all uh, for crap. I love crap. I've watched lots of crap. Crap is fun. Like I don't have any problem I, yeah, with that I stuff at all. I watch crap. Yeah. I watch great. crap. I watch like, a no, lot of crap. no no distorts crap. Like, there's plenty of stuff that I love. Like I'll watch like you me I'll take like police procedural stuff on network. I love that stuff so much. It's trash, but I love it. It's fun. You know. But like the where the breath of fresh air comes from is when you let creators run free. Right and mm-hmm. do their own thing and create new new stuff that catches fire, and the only people that are doing that are YouTube. Like yeah. that's that's where it's actually happening. Now people don't make YouTube is not yet thought of as a place where you watch uh, fiction like movies, yeah. um, but that can change quickly, right? And because I mean YouTube is where Cobra Kai started, and Cobra Kai then got bought up by Netflix and is a super hit. But like Netflix, Netflix still owns the vibe of when you watch movies on Netflix. But that could change for YouTube, and if that does change for YouTube, then Netflix has a, has a has a content problem. Yeah, but it, you're right because YouTube is, and there is a YouTube without ads, right? YouTube yeah. Red or something. Yeah. Right. Okay. But um, when you get when it comes to Disney, thing, right? Right. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. That, that, that's the thing for me is like the, the what I want is what I paid for, and I will yep. pay for a lack of ads. Right. right. Because I, I, when I lived in, you know, when I back in the, in the seventies and eighties and I lived in, in Europe and lived in Greece and there was like, there were ads, but ads never interrupted a show. It was like a string of like 10 minutes of ads mm-hmm. between shows. And then the show would happen uninterrupted. Yeah. Right? I definitely prefer that man. And, and that was the way it was. Uh, and then when I, you know, would come to the United States, you know, back at that time, the shows were interrupted by ads. In fact, they even built in into the show. Yeah, it's part of the story structure show. A, so. a, a cliffhanger to make sure right. you would continue watching the show after the ads. Right. Right. And so and so it's like, huh, it's an interesting thing. It's like ads are part of the storytelling of filmmaking right. or at least on television. Right. Right. And uh, and it was OK. And then. Uh, obviously we've, we've cut the cable and I told, I've told this story before, but we went to this, you know, Airbnb and there was a, like the only, they had a cable TV there. And I was like, it, I don't know if it, like, there seems to be even more ads than I even remember. And they were even yeah. worse than I remember. A hundred percent. I agree right. with you. Yep. Ads are horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And incredibly repetitive. It's, it's, it's just the worst experience <laughs> ever. Repetitive. I don't know why you would ever subscribe to cable. Like, no, like it's awful. you're paying a hundred dollars a month for garbage and it's crap. Fucking horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And once they solve sports, it's done. Yeah, that's the that's the last thread they're holding on to. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's done. And I can't believe it's lasted this long, honestly. I I I really thought it was gonna be dead like like last year. But yeah, it's the sports right. thing. You're right. That's holding on to that stuff. But that's the thing, dude. It's just like with you know, when you talk about Disney, like Disney is so Disney is like one step up from uh networked for me like when they come in and they're oh, like here, totally yeah what, like here's our 40 fucking star wars shows you know it's like uh, uh like hayhawk is uh, just said he's like you know he really likes the mandalorian um but when he saw that all you know, this stuff that are 
you know, putting out that he was weirded out by it. Um, and the only thing that he's excited about is like the Taika Waititi uh, uh, stuff. And like, that's the right. one time when they're like, well, I guess we should probably get some good directors. <laughs> you're like, oh my God. Well, really, then guys? they tried that. They tried yeah. that on freaking uh, on Solo. And they, oh, yeah. like, and they blew no. it because they couldn't stop controlling they blew it. it. Yeah. They, like, they, they want the idea of having um, breakthrough oh, interesting Kathleen directors. Kennedy. Yeah, like, like they want, I, I, they want, they're I like, oh, yeah, let's get Kathleen some incredibly Kennedy. inventive people and then fire them because uh, they're too inventive. <laughs> like, come on. I, I, I've heard Kathleen Kennedy on podcasts and she's very, very smart and I usually sure. have a lot of respect for her, but like, it's that ultimate like control thing that like I did yep. not. Mm. Yeah. It's very like, LB, <laughs> LB, LB Mayor. Exactly. LB Mayor. It's very 100%. LB Mayor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then like, <laughs> like when uh, I have to just th- when when Arliss Howard is Ellie Mayer, like they're doing that dolly pullback of uh, the three of them walking down at the camera. Oh, uh, when he's grabbing up, his crotch and, and he starts and grabbing his balls, getting... which is from Full Metal Jacket, which Arliss Howard yes. is in. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> I did not yeah. expect the Full Metal Jacket joke in the middle of this 1940s movie. That was pretty great. Yeah, but yeah, no, that's you're exactly right. Like there, there's the, it's the control freak problem where it's just like. Uh, that when you start thinking that you know better than uh, I control the brand, I yeah. control the brand. That's the, that, that's shit. what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so bad. It's so bad. Like that, the grass is going to grow where it grows, dude. You have to learn to figure it out. You have to learn to ride that thing. And right. and like the this like, is yeah this is yeah it, it, it this is this is you're, they're selling they're selling Star Wars like they're selling iPhones, yes. right? Yeah. I control how it looks. I this is the way the iPhone brand looks. This is yeah. how Apple looks. That and is this how is how it needs your, to be. Your product. That is how to kill your product. Yeah, uh, people eventually are going to say, you know, I've I've owned an iPhone. <laughs> I'm <laughs> actually interested exactly. in something else, maybe yeah, exactly. because it doesn't cost. It's as opposed to you know, like like you know, saying it's going to cost me two hundred, you know, or thousand dollars to buy an iPhone, and therefore I have to invest myself into it. It's fifteen dollars a fucking month. I can quit any time. Right? Yeah, dude. Yeah, I can I mean, quit any time. Yeah, exactly. But like that's the thing. Is like with you know when I when uh, uh was it the Lord and Miller, the guys who were who were directing Solo before yeah. they got canned. Like not only are they very yeah. good directors, like they like Lego Movie and when I was, like very talented. The Lego Movie is great. Yeah, and like they are like obviously you hire these guys because uh they're visionary. You know, like they have a they have a, a thing that they're going they to do. They cut gonna, right off, and and like as soon as that happens, they got canned. And then yeah. these guys are later talking about it. Now I was expecting it to be um, what they were going to say is like, oh well, we wanted to shoot something that was way more slapsticky Lego movie stuff. It turns out what they wanted to shoot was they wanted Solo to be like McCabe and Mrs. Miller. No. And they said that, and I was like, oh my god, can you fucking imagine how great that would have been? Like that's yeah. a that's a Han Solo movie. Holy shit! Well, like. They came Great. around the and Robert Altman they, they worked on Sans Solo. Uh, Jesus. They, they they came around and look look at uh, Spider Man, right? Uh, and right. did a Spider Verse, oh, which is incredible. Like, yeah, exactly. Knock. Yeah, absolute visionary knockout. Let, let them do the art that they know how to do. That's why you're hiring. It's them. hard for them to let go of the throttle, though. Oh man, apparently so. Well, dude. It's it's yeah. You know, just a lackey. You know, yeah. lackey. <laughs> it's, it's just crazy oh we got newsman on the line we all know dan thinks the brand has been ruined since the third movie yes that is true <laughs> star wars here are my current feelings on star wars return of the jedi is still terrible 
<laughs> Just to let everybody know right. in the audience, I uh, I still think Return of the Jedi is one of the worst movies I've ever experienced in my entire life. Oh god, yub nub. Bomb bomb, whatever it is. However, I I have softened greatly on Star Wars. It is now completely fine, and I have no problems with any of it. Like, give me more Star Wars. That's great. I will sl- I will put it on to fall asleep too, you know. And it's gonna be it's gonna be lovely. It's <laughs> fine, it's but fine. it's not. It's not. It's it's not. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, but give it's me fine. The but there are stuff. other things, right? And I think that there's there's great there's great things out there uh, that we should all enjoy. Um, embrace you know, it, man. Embrace your inner embrace artist it. and be a creative and get it out there and put it up on YouTube and own it. Yeah. Like yeah. be mank. Yeah. <laughs> be mank at the end of the movie. That's what you got to yeah. do. Yeah. Um, I think I got to go soon guys. Yeah. That's what, that's, yeah. Absolutely. Of course it's very late. I'm sure. Uh, but it, it was, it was really great uh, to have that. And I think, you know, I appreciate you guys wanted to talk about this and then we got it out because it was like, we're going to do this. I highly recommend every one of you, especially if you're Martini Giant fans, start with exactly what, you know, if you haven't seen this, start with Mank, go to Susan Kane, and then go back and then go Mank back again. to Mank. Yeah, for sure. For I, know, sure. I know that sounds like a lot of movie watching. And then go I'll to Apple what, Dumpling Gang. And then yes, Apple and Dumpling then, Gang uh, Nights. Yes. Yeah. And then Johnny Dangerously right after that would be a good one to follow up with. And, the yeah, 38 so, Magnum. It shoots through schools. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. That's that's fine. Uh, the, Eric, you're, you're probably very sleepy. Uh, we're going to get no, going. I'm fu- I got to go pick up my wife and daughter, but I think it was a good show tonight. That was great. That was it great. was and a great show. It was a thank great you show. Everybody in the chat I appreciate line. Everyone, everyone on the chat line. Uh, I know we were very chatty uh, and we did not give you guys a lot of a uh, chance to, to, in, <laughs> to input on this uh, uh, podcast. We had some I, feelings. I think that we had some feelings. They we had, had to come feelings. out. That's right. And we appreciate it. And, All right. Um, I want to just recommend this. What's book? this? This oh, book right here, The Making of Citizen Kane. Kane. Robert yes. L. Carringer. Awesome that looks great. University of California, Berkeley Press. Get it. It's amazing. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. And then the chat line, I want to say uh, thanks to Herb Strong. Herb Am I reading that right? There you go. And, uh, and thanks very much. And, uh, and yes, uh, Jason, I saw your note on a bunch of new shows that are adopting multiverse models uh, without any meaningful parts. <laughs> I think you're exactly right. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the multiverse uh, version of um, uh, Battle of the Network Stars. That's all I got. That is the topper for that. <laughs> the cane sandwich. The cane sandwich. I like that. <laughs> the mank cane uh, mank sandwich. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, that's a mank witch, if you will. Uh, How long are we, Chris? Three and a half hours? Uh, three hours 3:15. and 15 minutes. 3.15 we've been streaming. All right. So yeah. we're going to do our drink talk, uh, drink uh, sign off, and let's not Thank fuck you, it up everybody. This time. That was fun. Yeah. That was beautiful. All right. I will, I will wait to go last, so I will go last. There you go. Okay. All right. Ready? Drink. Talk. Drink. Drink.